Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Good Friday afternoon and happy March. What's up? Welcome in Grant and Danny on 106.7 The Fan. I don't want to pull the wool over anybody's eyes, Danny. We are not sitting side by side no, today. No, we're we not, sadly, do. my friend. I will be in my basement making sure that if anything's lingering, Danny and our producers, Darius and Ryan, don't get it after a tough day on the IL yesterday. I'm feeling better. I feel Good. well enough to do the show with you, but I am working from the home office as it were. What's up, buddy? Bookshelf guy today, my friend. Bookshelf guy today. It's totally fine. It's the right call, especially with a little, uh, there's a trip coming up, I think. I think the lads are going to take up some space on some flights down to a little place called West Palm Beach. And you guys are leaving very soon, so it's best not to infect the folks. So we, uh, we're we not sick down there. That was my big concern, Yeah, to be completely honest. Not yeah. only for myself getting on that bird and flying to West Palm Beach, but this has been very much like a one-day ordeal. Every person in my house had it for one day, and they were better the next day. I was a little concerned about the fellas if their one day came the day of the flight or maybe when we were in West Palm. But knock on wood, right now I think everybody's feeling all right. Yeah, there is nothing worse, having gone through it, I think like a lot of people, there is nothing worse than being sick on a plane. Like that, that is as bad as – like when you're, when you're stuck, you can't go anywhere, you feel, you feel guilty – because you're ruining it for everybody else. They're all doing the, like, the, ew, this guy. And you're like, yep, here's me. I need another bag, please. <laughs> I'm just, I'm still engaging in the pukes. It's so bad. No fun at all. Uh, yesterday, I'm sure, was a lot of fun, though. There was tons to talk about. You got a respite of not having to deal with your boys. So I'm sure it was a good time for everybody. Uh, lots to get into, though, on the commander's front. I do just want to say really quickly today, the Caps have one of their biggest games of the year tonight. They're playing the Flyers at home. I kind of think over the next three contests, they need at least four points to not sell and to feel like they've got a legitimate chance at the postseason. But the Flyers are six points ahead of them in the Metro. The team that they're chasing within the division, if they can climb over Philly as the number three team in the division, they would get into the playoffs. So a regulation win tonight with two games in hand. They'd be in control of their own destiny. They'd be in a really good spot massive game for them. They gave up a touchdown and a two-point conversion. Ugly. In Detroit last time out in their last really big game. This one's at home, though. It's a much more uh, tolerable, kind of stomachable opponent, if you will. they got to find a way tonight to get a regulation win if they're going to be serious about making a playoff push. Yeah, and not the second leg of a back-to-back after traveling the night before. So that's that's one of those built-in. It'd be nice if you won, but you understand you know, th- th- there might be kind of a built-in loss of that schedule thing there. This is huge. I mean – 
Because there have been a couple times where we're going, okay, this is a marquee game. I mean, there's 82 of them. You can't get too high, too low for the player sense. But if you're an evaluator, if you're a person like us that are watching these things with great interest, you're going, all right, this one's more significant than the November tilt at Montreal. This one matters an awful lot because, as you said, the calendar, I think it's March 8th, right? I mean, we're it's a week from the day uh, that the, the trade deadline is. So we need to know, what are we doing? Last year, there was kind of that, uh, to borrow a word, the recalibration. We're using that word recalibration now, where they, they sold some ancillary parts to, to try to better themselves for the future. I think they did that. I could see something very similar happening, uh, regardless if they end up with two points or not, uh, tonight or not. But, yeah, I mean, this is a, a tenuous position for them to be in. The other thing that happened while I was out yesterday, James Wood hit another home run. Yes, he did. Yes, That's he three, did. my friend, mm-hmm. in sp- six spring training games. I'm getting a bunch of tweets. I'm sure you are as well. A lot of people asking, is there any way this kid breaks – camp in the big leagues and my answer has just been to you know pat people on the head and say they're there that's so cute that's precious at some point though if he continues playing like this I don't think we're at that point a week into spring training but there could be a point if he's batting 500 and homering every couple of games that all of a sudden that dialogue's got to begin remember as of two seasons ago if you keep one of your best prospects they've got a rank in the top 50 in baseball and James Wood does. He's in the top five or ten, depending on, depending on where you're looking. But if you keep them at the major league level going into the season on opening day and then they win the Rookie of the Year award, you get gifted, basically just as an incentive to do so, a first-round pick. It happened for the Mariners two years ago for the first time with Julio Rodriguez. It happened up 95 this past year with Gunnar Henderson in Baltimore. So there would be at least incentive that didn't used to exist for the Nationals to keep him – at the major league level, I don't quite think we're there yet. And again, it's going to take a couple more weeks like this for me to start joining in to that discussion because they're just not going to be very good this year. And it doesn't really make a ton of sense to kind of start his clock at the big league level this year uh, at, on opening day. Having said that, what an amazing spring he's having. He looks like a completely different guy from last year. So obviously, Just two strikeouts in his yeah. first 15 at-bats. Yeah, obviously more homers than strikeouts, unbelievable. Um, the, the tape measure bombs that he's hitting, unbelievable. But to me, GP, my favorite thing that he's done is a room service. We talked about this on the show yesterday a little bit. A room service three-hopper to the third baseman who shifted over a little bit in the hole, uh, in that 5-6 hole where normally a right-hander is going to pull a ball for a base hit. But the third baseman shifted over. This isn't like a slow roller. It's not a swing and bunt where you have to just put it in your pocket. This is a room service, easy, routine chopper right to the guy's chest. No, Not on the run, not you know deep in the hole, nothing crazy about the play. Third baseman fields it, looks up, and has an oh my God look on his face because James Wood's already at first base. James Wood is already half a step away from the bag. He rushes the throw, it goes away, and everybody kind of can't believe it. It reminded me years ago of the one of uh, the early Ichiro Suzuki games where Derek Jeter takes a bullet, a two-hopper, you know, fields it calmly, picks up and looks, and, and Suzuki's almost at first base. And he barely throws him out, and gets, as he's throwing around the infield, he goes, wow. And everybody saw it. It was like, you know, Ichiro's welcome to the big leagues moment. That's what that was. Someone that massive should not be moving that way. What we know about human beings, that shouldn't be happening. And it did. And I'm I'm sitting there jaw agape, GP. Yeah, we're talking here this week as the NFL Combine's ongoing. And you know, if you're big what would his and combine fast, numbers be? 
it, oh, I mean, that's what I'm. That's kind of where I'm going, right? Is if they did something like that for baseball, and they now have started doing that, by the way. But it, it would just be off the charts, incredible, like an all-time combine performance in terms of size and speed. Yeah. He is uh, not human in, in the way he moves at his size, and you see it the first time you go watch him in a minor league park. There was a, a stat this week at spring training where he was clocked beating out an infield. Uh, ground ball may have been the one you were just referencing. I'm not sure. Basically at the same speed Corbin Carroll ran on average from home to first last year, Corbin Carroll, young star with the Diamondbacks. Who's a played, star, but half his size. Yeah, in the World <laughs> Series. He's basically five eight and a half, maybe five nine, you know, 180 pounds or whatever he is. Mm-hmm. But he's the second fastest player from home to first in the big leagues. Second fastest. And James Wood's time he was clocked at, obviously digging to try to beat it out. Uh, was right there. So that plus 40 home run power, you could see why the Padres loved him and now the Nationals love him. Very, very exciting times in West Palm. We're flying down there, as Danny said, tomorrow. Uh, speaking of the combine, though, we got to start with the quarterback class talking today because I don't know if you were following this like I was, but one QB today after another went to the podium and you get grilled on all kinds of things. We're finding out who's a flat earther, you know, who thinks <laughs> birds aren't real. Right. Some guy yesterday was saying he thinks birds recharge on power lines because he's never seen a baby bird. Like some of this is a little wacky and we could probably do without. But from a commander's which quarterback are they taking standpoint, I think today was very interesting. Here's the most notable thing that was shared by every quarterback that spoke to the media today. Williams, May, Daniels, Penix, McCarthy, Bo Nix. Not one of the big six, when asked about their meeting with the commanders, Danny, mentioned Josh Harris. Not one. Great. They were asked about the meetings. They talked about Dan Quinn. They brought up Cliff Kingsbury. They referenced Tavita Pritchard. I mean, the, the conversations, oh, I really hit it off with Quinn, or I, I loved how they did the interview this way, or Adam Peters' name came up. Nobody mentioned the owner, Josh Harrison. I'm sure you talked about it on the show yesterday. Obviously, I was uh, on the IL and wasn't able to listen. I, I tweeted about this. I, I don't know what your take was. I, I thought that story was way overblown. He's a first-time owner trying to learn the NFL. My sources told me that Adam Peters invited him and asked him to come out to the Combine to watch the process anyway. Having said that, uh, the, the, the reiteration from the QBs today that it wasn't like, yeah, I met with Josh Harris, and he asked me this question. I think that if you were a little bit nervous, and I understand that, we're all beaten puppies after the Snyder experience, today was very calming mm-hmm. to not have his name come up one time from any of these quarterbacks. Well, the Adam Schefter report that dominated the early part of the show, I, I was upset about it. Um, not to the point where I'm, like, angry at anybody. I just said, hey, I disagree with this, right? I'm still very in on the Josh Harris ownership group, et cetera, because Schefter was saying he's – actively involved he's asking questions he's taking the time to do this no other owners there and here's uh you know here's josh harris can helping conduct the interviews and i'm going change his name to david tepper change his name to mark davis or uh you know uh, jimmy haslam or any of the other guys you would go no that's terrible we like it because we like josh harris right and people making excuses he paid 6.05 billion well dan snyder paid 1 billion did you want him in interviews now the clarification I thought I saw Sam Fortier. I saw others now say he's actually was just there observing and learning. My tune has totally changed. That's great. I love that. I love that he wants to be 
uh, to, to see how, how these sorts of things go, to learn about what everybody's doing so that he can ask helpful questions down the line. That's what leadership is. The story I told a GP, and I'll, and I'll turn it back over to you here, years ago when I was a, a DOD contractor, right, I remember there was a big decision that had to be made. And rest assured, I had nothing to do with that decision. I was just sort of there in a support role. I took notes for, for one of the people that I was working for. But this guy that was in charge of this huge multi-million dollar operation that was going to decide a massive thing for thousands of people and their families, okay? They're going, he's going back and forth. He's basically doing a cross-examination of every single person in that room to get the best data, to get the best opinion, the best information out of them. And I, and I remember being really taken with that as a, a great sign of leadership, right? Where he trusts all these people, but he's trying to get the best out of them to try to, you know, to make the most informed and best decision possible. That sounds to me like what Josh Harris is doing. Right, where you get as much information as possible so that later on in the room when it's like, okay, make your case for Daniels, make your case for May, make your case for Williams, make your case for trading back, we can make the most informed, best practical decision possible. So I love that. Yeah, I, I want to give some thoughts on this. Uh, I was out, missed most of the discourse yesterday, but it sounds like we disagree uh, on a couple of things, and we will get into that as we go. But we actually have breaking news we've got to hit right now, and it's big news on the commander's front, so let's get to it. Breaking news on the fan brought to you by Beat the Streak for tips to win a $5.6 million prize. Listen wherever you get your podcast. The commanders have informed starting left tackle Charles Leno that they are releasing him, according to Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Charles Leno being released. He is scheduled for hip surgery next week, which is not something that I had heard publicly. Don't know how serious that hip surgery is going to be. But he's entering the final year of his deal, Danny. Again, breaking news right now into 106.7 The Fan. According to Ian Rappaport, the commanders have informed Charles Leno going into his 33-year-old season that he will not be back with the team. His base salary was going to be $11 million. Uh, he was going to count pretty sizably $15.5 million against their cap. Mm-hmm which is a huge, huge number, Uh, not for a starting left tackle by any means. That's actually still kind of a a bargain if you have a really good left tackle. But for a guy who has been pretty average, uh, going back to last season, I didn't think he was one of their bigger problems on the offensive line, but it hasn't been a strength. His cap number was jumping up from about $6.5 million last season to $15.5 million this year. So if you look at the – Uh, ramifications, you're going to save sizable money. Now, there's going to be upwards of $8 maybe in dead cap, depending on how they end up doing this release. But they will save cap space, and now they've opened up the left tackle spot, presumably to be filled either by way of free agency or the draft. This is one of the ones that that made sense to me. It's the cruel, horrible business of football. What did that guy do wrong? You know what I mean? Just a a, literally a great dude, as recognized by – uh, you know, man of the year nominations and all the charity work that he did and how you know awesome he was coming on with us and dealing with folks in the media and the like. Really, really good person. Uh, an awesome dude and solid here. Outperformed the expectation, quite frankly. Kind of anchored that left side. And I know a lot of fans, you know, sort of, I think you could see it a lot more, like a left tackle that may be on an island sometimes where he gets beat and it makes him look terrible. But, you know, I, I would take him over a lot of guys in this league. Pretty, pretty good here. You know, and again, outperformed what people's expectations were. But this made sense to me, quite frankly. Um, it's, it's Again, it's the unfortunate part of the business. But that cap number is big. You mentioned a dead cap hit. You still have $7 million in savings, potentially, if you rolled it over post-June 1st 
You could split that dead cap number up a little bit. You could save $11 million this year. Not that they're up against it, but it's just an option. Uh, depends on how they do it. But it's not I like, something I would do because they're not going to spend space. all their money. Yeah, you got space. And they've so, got so much cap space. Yeah, I like it, doing it now, by the way, to, to, to do right by the veteran. Yeah, so here is a couple of things on Charles Leno. He would have been their fourth highest paid player against the cap this season. So it's McLaurin, cap number of 24.1. Deron Payne, 21.6 mil. Allen, 21.4 mil. Those are the three guys that got extended into those second contracts that were their draft picks under uh, Ron Rivera. Charles Leno at 15.5 mil is one of the few wins, if you want to call it that, for the Rivera era. Remember, they signed him right. when the Bears had released him late in free agency, brought him in on what at the time was a discount deal. He then got a second contract. So with him off the books, and again, you mentioned some of the numbers here, but the dead money is $8.2 million. They have so much cap space this year. $87 million is what it's being speculated at in some places. I think the because they don't have 51 guys signed on their roster and you've got to have your savings for your draft class of 10-plus players eventually, you know, the effective cap space is closer to between 70 and $75 million. But Adam Peters told us they're not going to spend all of their cap space anyway. So you probably just take your dead money now, get it out of the way yeah. so that's financially prudent. You don't have to worry about it in the future. They still save on this year's cap space, though, $7.3 million. Right. Like They just created – more cap space. Obviously, you've also created a hole at left tackle where we presumed one of the two tackles, at least, if not both, was going to be replaced. Well, now you know that Leno is certainly not coming back on the left side. The right tackle is Andrew Wiley, who now becomes their fourth highest paid player, believe it or not, after his free agent deal last year. In terms of cap numbers for 2024, McLaurin, Payne, and Allen, gold, silver, and bronze. With Leno out, now it's Wiley and then Logan Thomas. And Thomas is another name to watch here, whose cap number is about $8.3 million. The tight end position is not a strength for them, so you could certainly keep him around. But he's been uh, pillaged by injuries the last couple of years. There would be very little dead money, about $1.8 million, if they moved on from him. And they could save about $6.5 million in cap space if they wanted to make that decision. But some of the names, if you look at it, Danny, in mm -hmm. terms of who the guys that take up the majority of their cap are behind McLaurin, Payne, and Allen, all guys that there are questions about their roles moving forward, right? It's Charles Leno, who they're releasing, according to NFL Network. Andrew Wiley, coming off of a really disappointing season. Logan Thomas, a couple of years in a row where his production has waned. Nick Gates, they signed him to be the starting center. He got benched last year, is scheduled to make close to 5.7 mil against the cap. Jamin Davis, who has not perform the way they wanted as a former first-round pick. You know, that's what the top of their uh, market looks like in terms of who they're shelling out cash to. So the, the, you kind of pointed to this. It all sort of depends here on, on what you'd like to do in terms of I would move on. Again, I like Logan Thomas a lot too. Very similar in my feelings about Charles Leno. Both great dudes. But I would make that cap space available to me. But you also you sort of flip it. You go, well, what are they going to do with it? Right? I mean, it, Adam Peters already told us, and you know they're not going to overspend. They're not going to go right up against the cap. And maybe they, they whether you can argue whether they should or shouldn't. But the opportunity certainly is there to, you know, in, inject new life and have new personnel uh, in a lot of spots. It just means that you've got to really get shopping. It just means that you've got, you know, you're creating more needs. And I think it's the prudent thing to do to, frankly, to not, 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 without, without a better term, to kind of keep pruning uh, the hedges here, right? Where if you, if you have a guy that is probably overpriced, 
and isn't going to perform that way, especially if, if that report is true that Leno's going to come up and have hip surgery here coming out. You said, we believe his play is declining. This is not going to be worth it. You just do that even if you don't have anybody else right now this minute, right? Like you just want to keep that practice of moving on from guys maybe a little bit early or when you know that their production is not going to meet the expectation and the salary and it's affordable for you to move on, then you just do that. Yeah, you mentioned it's it's kind to get a deal like this done and out of the way. If you're going to be cutting him, why wait? You know, let him know early, help him get into the market. The hip surgery obviously clouds things for him, as you mm-hmm. referenced. But it also is indicative of the fact that they're about to go to work on this offensive line. A year after, Rivera and the Martys neglected to do so to the extent that they needed to, the first big move made this offseason by this group, the first hallmark kind of newsworthy decision to cut their left tackle and start over on the offensive line at one of the most important positions up front. I think that should tell you a lot. We're going to get into the quarterback class talking today. That's where we were going to begin the show in just a bit. But let's open up the MGM National Harbor listener lines for reactions to Charles Leno being released and what you think this signifies about how aggressive the commanders might be in trying to fix this offensive line. We'll do that next on Grant and Danny. Thanks to Toby for the update. You just heard the breaking news if you're jumping in the car over these last few minutes. We brought to you here on 106.7 The Fan about 15 minutes ago. Charles Leno has been informed that he's being released by the Commanders. Finished last year on injured reserve. Did play in 47 of 51 games in his three years here with Washington. And not all of those games missed were via injury. Remember, he dealt with a devastating loss in his family at one point in time that kept him off the field. But he's going to be 33 years old this year, apparently dealing with a hip problem that's going to require surgery. The commanders decided that the first big move they're making this offseason was to create over $7 million more million in cap space. I think they'll incur that entire $8 million dead cap hit this year. If I had to guess, right. yeah, me too rather than spreading it out just because they've got nothing but space. But here's where I'm really interested about this, and we'll get your reactions in just a moment. MGM National Harbor listener lines open, 800-636-1067. Danny, here's where I'm thinking, and follow me wherever you want to. Mm -hmm. You're taking a quarterback at two, likely. We'll talk as the day goes on about the possibility of a trade back. And if they were to do that, then all of a sudden, you know, one of the great tackles in the draft is available in the back end of the top ten if that's the route they choose to go in. But let's just hypothetically say that the most likely outcome is the one that they execute and they take a quarterback at two. You damn sure better have a really good left tackle if you're drafting Jaden Daniels or Drake May at number two overall. You you better. And whether that's in free agency, where they've got all the money to spend, or in the draft at 36 or 40, they've got to get a left tackle. So I think what they've got to figure out is – Am I able to get a left tackle that I really like, that I trust, to protect the blind side of the guy that's going to make or break my organization with the 36th pick early in round two or the 40th pick early in round two? Because if the answer is yes, they like the tackle class enough that one of the guys that's going to be there they think can play on the left side, then no harm, no foul. You move on from Leno. You bring in a young left tackle. 
that's cheaper, and you got your answer. But if you don't think you can do that, then they have to do one of two things, Danny. They have to then go spend in a very mediocre tackle market and get a guy early in free agency, or they're going to have to trade up from that 36-40 range yep. to wherever they think they need to to get your hallmark bookend tackle to go with that quarterback because this is not wide receiver or corner or inside linebacker. You can't be playing games with your quarterback that you're taking number two overall. 100% agree. It puts an extra layer of pressure. And I don't disagree with the move, by the way. Again, it's the ugly business of football. It's the it's it's the part where no one did anything wrong and you just kind of have to you know uh, cringe and, and go on to the next thing. But they needed upgrade there, I think, especially with, as you said, going on injured reserve, possibly, you know, maybe losing a half step for some of the speed rushers that they have to face. You're not, you can't mess around with this. I, I've said going into this offseason, I want four new offensive linemen. I would love three. I'll settle for two. Well, they just kind of made it so that you know at least one of these couple uh, or three who, who it's going to be that they got to upgrade that spot. I don't think the situation, the solution's coming internally, but you're right. It puts a bit of extra pressure and a bit more premium on either hitting in free agency or, as you said, mo- maneuvering around the board uh, to, to find your franchise future left tackle, kind of pairing him with that quarterback. To me, this feels, though, like an acknowledgement that they got some work to do on the offensive line. Agreed. And people will read this however they want to, I'm sure. I don't know that this is an indictment on how Leno played. Maybe it is. But the fact is, and I didn't know about the hip surgery that's looming or how serious it is, but he's going to be 33. He's coming off hip surgery, and he was about to make $16 million, and they think they could probably replace him for cheaper than that and not have to worry about a 33-year-old going into a final year of a deal uh, coming off hip surgery. So last year at this time, this group kind of hung on to – their incumbent starters, and went out and brought in Andrew Wiley, who really struggled, and Nick Gates. And it was not close to good enough. This gives me hope that there's an acknowledgement, unlike there was last year with Sam Howell at this time, that if I'm going the route of a young quarterback, I better get this right. I better fix this. But it it just ups the the importance. It ups the ante a little bit on the gamble you're playing here with a known commodity who was serviceable. This was a very solid average to tick above average maybe, but we'll just say middle of the pack off, you know, offensive tackle that they just moved on from. And maybe he wouldn't have been that after hip surgery at 33 and they viewed him you know, moving forward as a slightly below average option. Not sure, but you've gone from commodity that you knew what he was that mm-hmm. wasn't going to get your guy banged up or hurt to now an opening at one of the most important positions on any football team, but Danny, it's especially important for a team that's drafting a young quarterback. I mean, how often do we talk about when a QB is taken in the top five? First questions you ask are what weapons are around them? Who are the tackles on that offensive line? Right? Without a doubt. I mean, it, you're you're again you're hitching a lot to that wagon. And my point forever, as they've uh, you know had barren cupboards, I, I've argued multiple times over for young signal callers, is this needs to be better than you would make it on a normal roster. That makes any sense, right? If you've got a quarterback that can cover for something, you have to make sacrifices. If you have Pat Mahomes, you probably can't have a great right guard. You you probably can't have a a great third receiver because he's going to cost a lot of money, and he should because he's incredible. You've got to make sacrifices someplace. You don't for a rookie quarterback. You go all out 
to put all the safety blankets, all the possible outlets, all the weaponry, all the the pass-catching running backs and great uh, pass-pro running backs and every left tackle. You find me the greatest that money can buy. You spare no expense because, A, you've got a cheap rookie quarterback, but, B, to give that guy a chance to grow into somebody who doesn't need it anymore. Right? I'm not saying you don't you, you want to go without an offensive line. You, you don't want to skip on that always. But eventually, if he if it goes according to plan and he's making God knows what in five, six, seven years, right? What these quarterback salaries will be. If he's making 74 million bucks a year in five seasons, yeah, you might not be able to have a Pro Bowl Peter at every spot on the offensive line. You'll have to make a, a, a skimp somewhere. But to get there, you better make a safety blanket. You got a left tackle now who's been released in a hole at the position and a right tackle who for the second time in as many seasons gave up nine sacks last year on Andrew Wiley, according to PFF. So there is work to be done. Could you be okay with them sticking with Andrew Wiley at right tackle if they spend money and or bring in a a pick at 36 at left tackle and then upgrade the interior? Because if you look at as the year went on last year for what it's worth, Wiley's numbers improved. In the end, PFF grades can be whatever they are. I just kind of use them as, you know, one way to look at line play. But he ended up, by the end of the season, grading out fairly well as a pass and run blocker, according to some of their metrics. Now, if you look at the, the first half of the season, it was pretty ugly. But did he show enough as the year went on for you to feel like the former Eastern Michigan Eagle can be counted on at right tackle? Because I would like to upgrade from him. I would try to. But I think if, if you have a new left tackle, a new left guard, and a new center, and then on the right side it's Cosme and Wiley again, I think that still could work even if it's not what everybody wants to hear. Mm. Uh, that, that'd be tough for a lot of fans, including one named Danny Ruye, to swallow, having Wiley involved in any other way. I mean, you can't move on from him because of his contract. You could, you could do it after this year. You can move on, but it, it'd, be, it'd be pointless to cut him. Well, so would you kick money. him into guard? I'd make him my swing tackle, my rotational backup, Billy. I, I would. I, I really want to upgrade those bookends. I can get and my, the the priorities for me are was was one right tackle to upgrade, two maybe one A was center, and then three I was hoping for somebody better than Leno, and then four maybe a left guard happens. That's great, but my priority was was that tackle spot. I want to do a lot better than Andrew Wiley. Now again, scheme wise, I have no. Do do we have any idea if he fits with what Kingsbury wants to do? I don't know. I, you, that, I mean, it's, we, we got the sense he fit with what Biennemi wanted to do in the first half of the season. He was terrible. So I don't well, know. Well, but here's the problem. We don't know what Kingsbury wants to do. Right. Really. I mean, I frankly. So uh, until we get an answer to that or we see it, it's, it's hard to forecast that. I just like that it feels to me when you make this move this decisively this early, it, it tells you that they're working over there. They got a plan. They have a plan. I thought, I thought the last group waited too long to do everything. You know, like – are they going to release Leno? Are they going to release Logan Thomas? They would be the 29th team to start doing it. And the fact that today they're kind of ahead of it on March 1st, still it, 10 days out from the start of the league year, uh, they're getting the ball rolling, which I like to see. Grant and Danny, with you on the fan. We were going to start with the quarterbacks talking at the Combine today. They all gave thoughts on their meetings with Washington's brass. Let's get into that as we continue next right here on the fan. Grant and Danny with you on the fan. Welcome back. Thank you for making the show 
part of your day. The Commanders are releasing Charles Leno. That is the news of the afternoon. But let's get into what we were going to start the show with, which is the fact that it was the day that quarterbacks are talking at the Combine. Day. 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 And our first opportunity to see those guys asked, you know, about their meetings with Washington. And I mentioned last hour I was uh, really excited about the fact that none of them mentioned Josh Harris. Uh, right before the Leno news broke, you were talking, you know, about your take on the Harris thing, and I just wanted to circle back to that mm-hmm. for a minute. So y- you took Schefter's report as he was heavily involved, or you said like part of the interviews. I, I didn't read it that way. Now, he said – Uh, Just reading what he wrote, Harris has sat in and taken part in each of the six interviews that the team has conducted with the top quarterback prospects in this draft. I didn't take that to mean he's talking or asking questions or, you know, he is running the meeting. Taking part just means he's there, right? He's present. So I just assumed he was kind of chilling there watching Adam Peters cook. One of the reasons I didn't care. The other thing you said that I wanted to respond to and and see what you think. You said, like – how would people feel if this was Tepper or Dan Snyder? And that's what everyone that didn't like my take yesterday has asked me. Well, you're just saying this because you like Josh Harris. Maybe. You're just saying that you're defending him. No, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. The idea that I should treat him the same way I would Dan Snyder is ridiculous. Dan Snyder robbed 10 banks. I'm going to be skeptical when he walks into a bank with a mask on. But just because Josh Harris is doing banking doesn't mean he's robbing banks. If your spouse cheated when you were told that they were staying late for work, that doesn't mean that your next lover, when they have a proposal due and has to stay late for work, which is a common normal thing, is also cheating. So, yes, David Tepper has been proven to be a meddling poor owner. Dan Snyder has been proven to be a meddling annoying, draft-taking-over, pick-demanding owner. I should feel a different way about him. Josh Harris has not. So why why should I have an ire raised or treat him? And people are like, oh, what would you say if it was Dan Snyder? Oh, you mean what, what would I say if the person who's been convicted of the crime several times over is a person of interest versus someone who has no convictions on their rap sheet? I just think that that analogy doesn't work for me at all. Uh, it works tremendously for me. I don't want the owner making any kind of decision when it comes to that. I want him to be a leader and, and a sounding board, but we have football people for that. So, But he's not – who said he's making any decisions? I think everyone can agree he's not going to – nobody wants him to make decisions in other right. words. Right. Well, I mean, this is all moot because he was sitting there passively and just observing. But, it, but my point great, is right? that that should have been the like the assumption initially. I, I he he literally he could, said I don't see how he could read ago. Schefter's tweet and say that he wasn't participating. It, he literally says – He's he's there. He's, he's taking part. Yeah, taking part. Meaning he's in the meeting. Yeah, like taking part, active. It's it's an, an active thing. Now that's been contradicted by multiple reports, and I I choose those over this one. But l- let me ask you yeah. a question: If we have a pre-show meeting and the four of us are sitting there talking about the show, and I'm in it, it would not be odd to say I'm taking part in the meeting. That doesn't suggest anything to do with what I'm doing in the meeting. I, I'm saying. I understand that you took something you, – you took it one way. I think it's perfectly reasonable to take it the way I did, which was when I heard that, taking part, he is present. He is involved. He is there. He's at the meeting. So there's a difference. There, the, the key sentence to me, it's a poorly constructed one. And, again, this is all I, – I keep saying this. It's all moot because it's been proven, I guess, or it's been reported 
different than this. Josh Harris has sat in. That's what you're talking about. If he's just sitting in, he sat in. He has sat in and taken part. That That is a way bigger thing than just sitting in. Like, if our big boss here, not even like CK, but above, above, some like regional GM came and sat in and listened to how you and I talked to each other before the show, if they just said the word sat in, that means they're in the room while that's happening, which can be, by the way, a presence and kind of hovering around can, can be something, but I don't really care about that if it's just informational. Taken part of is a totally different animal, and it's a it's an active thing as opposed to a passive thing. So I'm going, I, just as a principle, it's, it's a ball or a strike. I want my owner to go, you, empowered football person, you guys got it. Totally. And I found out after the fact, after, you know, talking about this for, for 90 minutes, hey, there's a there's a different angle here. He was just sitting there passively where I'm going, oh, great, that's awesome. Good for him. It's information gathering, and I respect the hell out of it. Yeah, I, I think it's important for him to learn football. Mm-hmm. If he is, he should not just not know anything about the game that he just, you know, bought a team in. And he said as much. I mean, I also think it's important to remember if you go back a couple of months ago, he suggested he's going to be involved in at meetings and mm-hmm. he's going to be trying to learn. And the, the best way to do that is to be there. Um, but yeah, I, I guess that's the difference is when I read that, I thought, okay, that, that's not weird to me that the brand new owner is getting his first chance to attend a combine and see what it's all about. And, oh, by the way, his team is making massive decision on the quarterback. Owners are always going to be involved at the GM, the head coach, the quarterback level. You know, whether people want the, you know, every player on the team, every position to be treated differently or the same. Like, quarterback's always going to be treated a little bit differently. But as you said, as the day went on, hopefully people's nerves were quelled a little bit. And I think all the quarterbacks talking today – Every one of them asked about the commanders' meetings. Not one of them mentioning Josh Harris. Every one of them mentioning Quinn mm-hmm. and Pritchard and Peters and some of the other people there should make them feel better. Hundred percent. The the one thing I did, you know, keep having people say yesterday as I was laying, uh, just thinking I would never feel good again in my in my bed, <laughs> was you know why on earth would you not care about this? You would be killing Dan Snyder. Well, no kidding, man. The guy who I know wouldn't just be sitting there quietly. Being at a meeting is not a problem, has never been a problem. Being at a meeting and saying, draft this quarterback is the problem. And Harris told you he was going to be at the meetings. He told you he's not going to be an absentee owner. There's also no precedent, really, in his other sports of him being meddling and demanding and and making his teams do anything. So I didn't have much problem with it. But I want to get into what we found out today about those meetings with those quarterbacks. And also, Danny, I don't know if you saw this. Ben Standig wrote in The Athletic today about Uh the possibility of a trade back. You know, the lack of a left tackle makes that column, I think, even a little bit more interesting today. A little gasoline on that flame, maybe? Let's uh, dive into that next on G&D here on The Fan.
Grant and Danny on the fan. Live all over Richmond, AM 910, FM 1051 for the next three hours. And, of course, on our flagship, 1067, all the way up to 630 this evening. We want you to kick off your future with the law firm of Condori and Mora, the official Grant and Danny Show sponsor who can help protect your assets by updating your will and trust. Schedule a free estate planning strategy with one of their Fairfax-based attorneys by visiting kmlawyers.com. Mention GD. Screw yourself a discount. That's kmlawyers.com. Danny, I thought we could go through some of the comments made by the top quarterbacks at the Combine today about the Commanders as we get ready to talk QBs and the possibility of a trade back based on a big piece in the athletic today. But let's start with cut number one. This was Caleb Williams. He is everybody's most likely number one overall pick right now in whatever mock you're looking at. He's almost certainly going to go to the Chicago Bears. But he went to Gonzaga. He is from the D.C. area, and he spoke about his meeting with the commanders and the possibility of coming home. It's, it's hometown, um, as everybody knows, and, uh, you know, it'd be, it'd be really cool to, to be back there and, and, and experience that. Um, the, the meeting went really well, um, and, and um, you know, being around those, you know, everybody was in the room, so being around everybody, um, you know, just getting, getting a taste of, you know, how they are, who they are, because, like you said, everything's new there. He was one of the few quarterbacks that didn't shout out or name anybody specific from the meeting, but... You couldn't see it there. Maybe you could hear that his lips were filled with smile. If you watch the mm-hmm. video of the question when someone asks him about playing in D.C., he lights up like a Christmas tree, dude. Uh, it, there's no doubt in my mind he would be thrilled to play in Washington, D.C. That's not me suggesting he'd rather play there than Chicago. I'm not going that route. My guess is you know, his preference would be the number one overall pick in the country and, and to play for the Bears and you know whatever. But I... Look, I think if he found out today that commanders were trading up to number one, he'd be elated. He has made no bones about the fact that he absolutely would love to come home. That's the sense I got there. I I, I wasn't sure if that was just something you said. Like, in other words, let's say you're in uh I don't know, you're in you're in Chicago and they, the the media's asking you about Chicago. You're gonna rail you're gonna tell you how great Chicago is. I love deep dish pizza, I'm doing the Bryce Harper bit, or I've always been a fan of the Liberty Bell or or whatever. But if somebody locally with a tie is going to ask you about back home, your eyes might light up too. And I, I never really knew what was real, if that makes any sense. I'm just wondering if this is polished or him just saying what you're supposed to say as part of this process. But that really jumped out at me. I, I, I had the same takeaway you did where I'm going, damn, he wants to be in D.C. You know what I mean? Like it, it, like it was one of those involuntary, I, I wouldn't want to walk into a poker room with that. Because you know, everyone would know you're holding four of a kind, right? He is the prospective number one overall pick, as I mentioned. So it's not surprising that he chose not to throw at the Combine, nor is it problematic. In fact, he's really not doing anything physical at the Combine. And for that matter, Jaden Daniels, Drake May, the other top quarterbacks, they're not either to an extent. But what is unique to Caleb Williams is he was not allowing any medicals to be done on him at the Combine. In fact, it was reported today that he is the first player in the history of the event – certainly among quarterbacks that are going at the top of the board to not allow the teams to dig into his medicals. And he was asked about why he's decided to make that decision. Yeah, so for the medical stuff, I'll be doing the medical stuff, just not here in Indy. I'll be doing it at the team interviews. Um, You know, not 32 teams can draft me. Uh, There's only one of me. Um, And so uh, the teams that I go to for my visit, um, you know, those teams will have the the medical and, and, and that'll be it. 
So to clarify and kind of make sense of what he just said, his point is for the teams that are serious about me, bring me into their building, have the sit-downs with me, and the clubs that are considering drafting me, they'll be able to get all their questions answered about my medical. There was a player today, though, Kool-Aid McKinstry, the DB from Alabama. It was found that he had a fracture in his foot as an example, and it's going to change some things for him moving forward. I don't think it's a deal-breaker by any means, but you know these medicals can be very useful for teams, and if you don't get to do this until later in the process, depending on what comes out of those medicals, I think it, it can complicate some things. I don't have a problem with him not doing the medicals. I do think this idea that, hey, I don't need to do this for all 32 teams because they're not all drafting me. Well, no kidding. You also then, by that logic, shouldn't have meetings with eight or ten teams Mm -hmm. because only one is drafting you. So that didn't really make a lot of sense to me. If it's as simple as some of this stuff gets leaked, I don't. the, the fewer people that know about all of my personal things, the better. Okay, I can understand that, certainly. But here is my, my reoccurring concern with Caleb Williams uh, over and over is it just seems like he kind of is doing this his own way. And a lot of people will love that. And that if that's the kind of guy that you want and like, no, no harm, no foul. That's your prerogative. But I am a big proponent of, I hate to say like a get-in-line guy, but someone who understands this process, respects it a little bit. I'm not saying to throw at the combine. That, that's not my suggestion. It does seem to me he doesn't have an agent, which is very rare. Um, his parents are giving him a lot of the advice through this process. I, I just think the advice he's getting is, like, we're going to do this your way because you're different and you're unique and you're special. And that gives me a little pause. I think he's physically the most talented player. If I had the number one overall pick, I understand why I would be told by everyone in my building to draft him. He's an incredible talent. But does any of this at any point, Danny, make you kind of stop and hesitate for a second and go, at it's what always point be do something. you just become yeah. one of the guys in the locker room, man? Yeah, you know so, what I mean? Yeah, I'm totally. So I'm of two minds. Um, mine, the first, is after what happened to C.J. Stroud, and he landed on his feet and he's just fine. He's a star, by the way. But with that stupid, whatever the cognitive test was, getting leaked and uh, you know some of these medicals and, and, and the, how the misinformation or – Rumor gets out there, or guys can get dinged that can cost some spots in the draft. I mean, think back to John Allen fell into Washington's lap because of some shoulder problem. Put that in quotation marks. All that guy's been is durable and awesome. Montez Sweat had something that 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 popped up. That who knows? Maybe that made him sink a little bit further in the draft. Other guys, I remember, didn't work out for Washington. They drafted Rocky McIntosh, who had my knees uh, as someone in the early twenties, and of course, it, it it didn't really work out. So, like, I, I understand these are very real things, but. You know, the, the amount of information that kind of gets flying out there, I understand wanting to protect yourself, and I understand not wanting to play their game, especially if you have some leverage. That's point one. The exact opposite of that is you don't have a job yet. You know what I mean? Like if if, if uh, the Odyssey, which is one part audacious, another part like an Odyssey like that you're going on but you're also listening, like if they were like, hey, mandatory seminar for everybody, and Eric Bickle's like, yeah, I don't really feel like doing that. You know what? He's been sitting in the chair to my right for 27 years. He may not have to do it. Neophyte Ned, who wants to get on air and hasn't yet and is you know doing weekends at 6 in the morning, should probably go to that thing. You see what I'm saying? Like, if you're not there yet, I know he's a star. I know he's a millionaire in his own right from, from what he's accomplished. I just wish there was a little bit more 
okay, I get it. it everything can't just be the Caleb Williams production. Like, get in line just a little. But again, right. I, I guess I understand it both ways. I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. Well, and I also think this is that whatever this is is going to be more and more the norm, right? Because with NIL and players getting paid, and I, I don't know if you saw the picture of Caleb Williams' house or condo or I don't know what it is, but basically looks like Cliff Kingsbury and where he was like everyone made fun of him sitting there with a fire in his backyard, you know. He's got an unbelievable place. and He is, in a lot of ways, has already made it, so to speak, right? right. He doesn't, like, need this as much as maybe people did before. So I think you're going to see more in this player empowerment era. The NBA is kind of on another level, but the NFL has made strides in this regard. They're heading there at 100 miles an hour. You're going to see, like, the Marvin Harrison Jr. How about him? I mean, this is a whole other level of this. Best receiver at the com- uh, in the country said, yeah, I'm not going to the combine. So I'm not doing anything, essentially, at the combine. And they're like, okay. But then it was like, well, I'll show up and do the meetings. He's not meeting with the media at all. And at least one report today was he may not meet with the media at any point before the draft. Like, none of that says he's not going to be a good player at all. In fact, I'm quite sure he's going to be fantastic. And I'm a receiver, to me, is different than a quarterback. The quarterback is the CEO of my company. I've got a Fortune 500 operation. They are the front person, the COO. I grade and judge and view them differently in every regard. So nothing Marvin Harrison Jr. really can do pre-combine would affect how I feel about taking him. I don't feel the same way about quarterback. I I just hold them to a different standard Mm -hmm. at this point. And, uh, look, I I think Caleb Williams is going to be a really, really good pro. I do. I think he's an awesome football player. But the last time I had any of these kind of trepidatious thoughts pre-draft about kind of all the rumblings around a player was Kyler Murray. And Murray obviously has had weird Odd off the field stuff, not in trouble or anything, but with front office people and teammates. And it's not a fair thing to put on Caleb Williams, but I just can't help but kind of every step of the way, you know, it, it just feels like Caleb Williams is operating like he is maybe different than everybody else in the quarterback room. And and perhaps he is. And we'll find out in due time. He's Mahomes 2.0. He's going to be the first overall pick. So, you know, he's basically like, I'm I'm acting like it at, at this point. Sure. Sort of, sort of testing it a little bit, and and again, it's these as you said. I think you said it very well. These are not jailable offenses. These are not crimes. These are not like like horrible things. But it's just it's and and I would say this too, Danny. Yeah. No one of these things is a big deal, to be honest. Right. Like not throwing is a, well. I don't even put that in the that's a nothing burger. That's normal. Every top quarterback should not throw probably moving forward. But the no medicals for the first time or, you know, any of the other little quirky things that have happened along the way, some of them have been true, some of them haven't, who knows. But, like, not having an agent, whatever the odd things are that make you, like, pause and your antenna goes up a little bit, any one of them, not a big deal. But when you combine them all, you go, is there anything to this? This is a really weird pre-draft process. Uh, I I just – sometimes when guys – act above it, you wonder, does that stop as soon as they're drafted? Or, you know, what is the relationship like with the teammates? What's it going to be like at the next level? Uh, How about we go to Drake May Audio, who could be the pick for Washington at number two, could also be Jaden Daniels, who you'll hear from in a second. Uh, May talking about his meeting with Washington and a familiarity he had with one of the coaches in that meeting. 
Quinn, um, you know, great, you know, kind of, kind of clicked right off the bat. Um, he's a great, you know, great guy, and um, you know, great coach. And stuff he's done defensively with the Cowboys over the past year has been pretty special. Um, so meeting in there, and um, you know, coach, um, you know, coach Bridges, coach uh, recruited me in high school from Stanford, so I got to know him a little bit. And uh, Coach Kingsbury knows, you know, my office winner from college, so we got a lot of connections. Very connected, it sounds like, between Kingsbury, Phil Longo, who called the plays for him initially mm-hmm. at UNC. You've got Tavita Pritchard who I didn't realize had, it sounds like, recruited him pretty seriously at Stanford, who's the quarterback's coach, uh, hit it off with Dan Quinn. So May, at least in terms of connections, not going to have any issues getting to know some people pretty uh, fast within the commander's interview room. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, we, we talk about this all the time. It's the good old boys network. It's not always, you know, a, a positive, uh, you know, nomer there, but that's kind of what it is. It, it, these are smaller circles, you don't have to do five degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever to find somebody that knows somebody or recruited somebody or called somebody or roomed with somebody or, well, I know this guy, uh, you know, who coached with this guy, and so I'm familiar with this. It, it's a pretty tight little world, and, and we, because you have these coaching trees, right, and they're not infinite, every, like, again, there, there's a lot of cross-pollination uh, when it comes to that. So that was kind of neat to hear that, yeah, of course, I know uh, Tavita Pritchard from when he recruited me when he was at Stanford. I would have never put that together, but but here we are. And it's very possible, too, right? If Pritchard's recruiting the best high school quarterbacks in the country at that time, you know, maybe prior to that when Daniels went to college because he's older, you know, maybe he knows him from that and Daniels just didn't mention it today. And it's not to say that he uh, and may have a relationship that he might not have with other of the quarterbacks that he recruited, but Drake May did point that out, and that seemed pretty relevant. The big connection between he and Washington is one of his best friends, Sam Howell the current quarterback, the guy that he took the mantle from at North Carolina as the starting quarterback at Chapel Hill, they hang out. We've seen pictures of them you know, at college basketball games this offseason. This was Drake May talking about one of his mentors and current commander starter, Sam Howe. Um, you know, Sam is, uh, shoot, has been a mentor to me in college, and uh, it's one of those things where um, there's a lot bigger problems out there in the world than you know, being with one of your best friends in the quarterback room. So I think um, you know, it's, not, it's not awkward for us, and it's just, a, just business. Does Drake May, for what it's worth, and it might be nothing, does he win the connections race, so to speak? <laughs> I, I think you'd leader, have to guess, right? slot him number one. Like, Adam Peters was more connected to all the people with the commanders that were interviewing him than any of the other guys. He got the job. Dan Quinn was probably more connected to the people in the room, including, like, Rick Spielman, who he coached on the staff that Spielman was a GM for initially. And, you know, you can go through and play that game. And it ended up that – the, the most connected guys got the gigs. I'm not suggesting that it's over and Drake Mays the guy, but doesn't it sound like between Sam Howell and the quarterback room probably advocates for him? You know, knowing the o, uh, the quarterbacks coach, the OC at his school and the OC of the team, uh, similar offenses and know each other and work together. He's got that going for him. I would say he certainly does. That, those are uh, folks that you don't have to look far for a recommendation or somebody to you know to, to be able to speak deep about about the guy. That that is interesting. Jaden Daniels, LSU Heisman Trophy winner, accounted for 50 touchdowns and Mm. just four interceptions this season. In the SEC, unbelievable talent, just an electric player. You heard Dan Quinn on the junkie say he's a game changer. This was Daniels on his meeting with the commanders. It was just how cool uh, the whole staff was. Obviously, uh, Dan Quinn, uh, Cliff Keenberry, all those type of guys. 
I just be able to sit in there and really just get to know people. Uh, you know, you, you see them on TV, see everybody coaching uh, behind the scenes. So be able to go in there and just have a, a conversation with them. That's the coolest part for me. Not as much detail there from him, but it seemed encouraged by the meeting. Uh, what do you make of what he had to say there? It sounds, again, like Dan Quinn made an impact. I mean, all these guys come away, and this is what he does. Like People yeah. love Dan Quinn. They, they all come away talking about how cool DQ is, as he's known around. His hat may have been backwards at this time. Yeah, it's the – Locke, by the way. I know. Locke, he's doing these interviews with the kids with a backwards hat. Daniels, by the way, just is just so eminently likable to me. It's another reason why I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of his. But, uh, yeah, that, that's, what come, that's what comes through there is that this is a – you know, hopefully the the acumen and hopefully the intellect and hopefully all the the, you know, the great instilling lessons and, and making schemes go is first and foremost among this group. But it does seem to be, by all accounts, a pretty good group of guys that this coaching staff and Dan Quinn, by extension, have kind of put together here. And that's going to serve you well. Like, you treat people really well, whether they end up on your team or not. You never know when they might. You know what I mean? It's the old kind of, uh, you know, Major League Baseball rule where guys that are, you know, if you're in the outfield, you keep a book on your own pitchers too because you might have to – eventually hit against those guys the way this league works. So you you get a detailed file, you treat people really well. Maybe Daniels doesn't come here initially, but maybe in six years, seven years, when it's free agency time, maybe he does. That's the kind of thing that uh, I think goes a long way. J.J. McCarthy also at the podium today, quarterback at Michigan. I, you know I've been beating this drum for a couple of weeks, Danny, mm-hmm. and you're starting to see more and more it's of this. It's going to happen, man. I believe this guy's going to go in the top ten. I think J.J. McCarthy – you talk about likability, like the more he sits down and meets with teams, the more they're going to like him. This part of the process is going to be huge for him. What won't be held against him by the teams to the extent that like I hold it against him or you do is how little he was asked to do by Michigan because he's viewed as a play-action, pro-style drop-back quarterback who's going to be a real nice fit in the Shanahan scheme with all the the branches all over the league now, the disciples of Shanahan. Uh, McCarthy, who a lot of people are saying is going to go in the top ten. There was one person who told Ben Standig, who's a high-ranking executive, that he thinks McCarthy's in play at number two for Washington, number three for New England, which seems insane to me. But again, if you tell me he goes 25 or two or three, then it would probably be two or three to me. I, I feel that confident that he's going to go early. This was McCarthy on his meeting with Washington. Just the overall energy, you know, I, it was my first one. So I was like super nervous, I'm not going to lie. And uh, sweating a little bit. And, you know, Coach Quinn was just awesome. I got to talk to uh, Mr. Peters right before the meeting. And, you know, just a great vibe, very welcoming. And, you know, going through the clips and everything. and. Coach Cliff Kingsbury was just like, hey, if you get a matchup out here and you really like it, could you just, you know, switch it to go on the outside? You know, something like, I wish. Just little stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it was just great to meet them, great to, you know, talk ball with them. And I had a lot of fun doing it. I wish I could throw the ball to a receiver on the outside, man. I just handed it off a bunch. Yeah, is, and, that, uh, is that handed off, you mean? Did we hand it off? <laughs> did some play action stuff to my tight ends. Uh, it's happening, Danny. He is going in the top ten. It, it it's, is. Happening. It is going to happen. And by the way, like when when he talks, super likable dude as well. Uh, but it sounds like he's asking somebody for permission to take his daughter on a date. Like that's like the the vibe he has. Like oh shucks, sir, if you would see two allowing me to escort your daughter out, I'll have her home by nine. Like that's kind of the the vibe that JJ McCarthy has. It, it's like the you know the, the the good kid, the old American boy uh, at the high school. But I don't know, dude. I, I just I can't get over this. Is this is a Danny problem? I'm fully admitting it. At the highest level of college football, their coach goes, 
we're probably not best served having this guy throw a lot. Now, I know they won. But, well, but, but it's not even that they weren't best served. It was just we don't need to do it. I, I mean, know. honestly, I think that's what it was most of the time. I, I And I know, I, but just it seems to be that if, if he was a guy that was going to go in the first round, like a first-round quarterback, you'd, you'd let him throw for more than 150 yards. You'd let him throw more than eight times against Penn State because you could but probably score some points. Great. I, I guess I understand they didn't have to. But sometimes you could you could get to all those running plays that Jim Harbaugh wanted to run by maybe, maybe throwing the ball nine times, 11 times. They, they, they were like, we're better when he doesn't do anything. And that guy's going to go in the first round. I can't get past it. And as I said, this is a Danny problem. This is a me problem. This is not an NFL problem. This is something that I can't deal with. 44 touchdowns, nine picks at Michigan the last two seasons. Completion percentages over his three college years went from 58 to 65 to this year, 72%. 72, Never threw man. for 3,000 yards, to your point. Uh, last quarterback I want to play a clip from here, as all six talked today, Michael Penix, University of Washington, a little more coy, didn't have as much to say, but still want to play the clip here of, of his meeting with Washington. Uh, I, I don't know as far as stand out, you know. I, I felt confident in all of my meetings, you know. And I know in that meeting I felt confident, you know, going into it, and I felt confident walking away. So um, I was I was super, super excited to be able to meet with every team that I was able to meet with. But University, I'm not, not University, I'm thinking of University, but uh, Washington, the Commanders, you know, um, it, it was a good meeting. Let's do this next, Danny. Mm-hmm. Let's rank our quarterbacks one through six as of right now in this process. Okay. Still got pro days, still got a long ways to go. But just for what it's worth, and we're not getting to sit in on meetings. We're not Josh Harris. You know, we're not watching legitimate all 22 film. Um, I'm going back and, and watching every throw in certain games or whatever. Um, but let's rank the quarterbacks as we see them right now. Uh, we'll do that next. If you guys have a green flag that you've seen that you really like about a quarterback in this class, a red flag that stands out to you that you want to assign, want to hear from you on these QBs next. 800-636-1067 is the number on Grant and Danny. Thanks to Toby for the update. We will see you in West Palm Beach tomorrow, Tobes. Grant and Danny welcoming you back on the fan. We are flying out first thing tomorrow morning. Ryan, Darris, myself, Danny's joining us one day later. On Sunday, we'll be live in West Palm Beach talking Nats and everything going on with the Commanders and the NFL from sunny Florida next Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Cannot wait, man. It's going to be awesome. I am uh, – what's the one I'm looking for? Oh, excited. I'm pumped for this. I am all in on this. We we have not done a national spring training since literally directly before and then the exact start of the shutdown of the universe Right. with the pandemics. I will never forget we went from, well, we're probably just going to bring guys out to you one at a time from the Nats clubhouse. We're broadcasting right outside the way the setup is. You guys, it's tough to picture, so don't bother. But normally, you know, you and I would go in and we'd do interviews and stuff, and then we'd, we'd get guys live for the show. Normal, great, no problem. It went from, well, we'd rather not have people in the clubhouse. Totally understandable. We get it, whatever. We'll just bring guys outside one at a time to, you're going to talk to a chain link fence to, you can't come. <laughs> See you at the hotel ballroom. Yeah, you're in a conference yeah. room in the Holiday Inn. What? 
a ballroom or whatever. I yeah. mean, so crazy. I'm a big dress for where I'm going, not where I'm getting on the plane from guy. I love that. So I'm going to be wearing khaki shots mm-hmm. and a polo shirt tomorrow when I board the plane. I don't care how cold it is in the morning in D.C. And it's actually pleasant today, so maybe it won't be bad. But like, let's say it was 11 degrees and snowing. That's what I'd be wearing tomorrow. Yeah. Because eventually I'm getting off the plane and I don't, don't want to be uncomfortable in Florida. Sounds like you agree with me on that stance. 100%. It, it leads to an awkward maybe trip to the airport, et cetera. But if you can layer, like if I had tearaway pants, I would use those. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like as soon as they get on the plane where it's like, okay, like they're coming off because I'm going to be in Florida when I get off. But yeah, that it's always awkward when you change climates um, going from one place to another. I remember our uh, my wife and I's honeymoon, we left from San Francisco to Hawaii. And everyone at the airport in San Francisco is bundled up because it's so cold right by the water and everyone's miserable. I'm in a Hawaiian shirt and shorts and flip-flops, like trudging through the airport like a horse's ass because where I'm going is awesome. Yeah, you're going to be so comfortable when you get there. They're all going to have to change, do a bunch of stuff. But, yeah, it's couldn't come. Soon enough, we'll be there, and hopefully James Wood saves some home runs. We'll get to see him go deep in the couple of spring training games that we watch. All right, let's get to our quarterback rankings uh, I, how do you want to do this? Do you want to go like in the order that we would want them on this team, the order oh. that we would draft them? Yeah, because here, here's what I mean would, by that. I would draft them, but no, it's a good distinction. Caleb Williams to me is the most talented player in this draft in terms of quarterbacks. He would not be the first guy I would draft. Like I, I am, I, I have enough of my spidey senses up to be a little concerned. So what do I do there? I mean, I, I think this is like my draft board, right? Like yes. where I. Okay, so let's let's do it that way then. So number one for you is Caleb Williams. It's I understand that there are beige. I don't know, maybe not quite red flags. There's things I have a good organization, or at least trust myself to be able to say, all right, cut the crap, dude. Get on board. You're talented. We're gonna figure it out for you. He's too talented to pass up. So Drake May's number one for me. Love May. First round quarterbacks with forty big time throws in a season. Him, Mahomes, Burrow. Uh, Allen, Jameis Winston, only quarterback with over 9,000 yards the last couple of years, 42 first down scrambles on third and fourth down. Daniels had 22 as an example. Number one rated thrower on first and second read throws in FBS last couple of years. And he plays time to throw sub two and a half seconds, so kind of predetermined before the snap, knowing where the ball's going. Number one in that stat as well. Uh, I'm a Drake May guy, big believer in his game. Number two for me is where I debate now between slotting in Williams or Daniels. I really, really like Jaden Daniels as well. I would be happy if he ends up in Washington. I prefer May. But if they take Jaden Daniels, it, you know, I'll think they made a mistake by not taking May, but so be it. I can still absolutely be thrilled with his upside. So my question is, do I put Williams or Daniels second? I'm going to put Caleb Williams just based on the talent. And as you said, there's not true – like. I can't draft this guy stuff. It's just mm-hmm. kind of I'm nervous stuff. Yeah. So I'll put him second and Daniels third on my list. Daniels is a great athlete. I think that he can make the leap to the NFL. But I've got all kinds of different stats that I care a lot about that are predictors of NFL success where he does not do very well and grade out analytically the way I would want it all. So that's why, I, for me, the gap between him and May, as I've studied these guys more and more, has grown. But I, I'll put him third. And any of those three, for the record, sure. I, I would be excited about. Those three have separated themselves, I think, for, for most everyone else as well. Uh, it's, again, we're, we're 
to me, it's it's razor thin margins between some of these guys. I do think Williams is a little bit ahead, uh, but my number two is Daniels. You, you're touching the reasons why I, the highlights. I just can't stop. I can't stop being tantalized by a guy that runs past everybody, who can make every throw, who's got the starter kit, the skill set for this new era of quarterbacking. He could be one of the ultimate prototypes for that. I'm nervous about the his frame, how slender he is, taking too many shots. That's the part of it that that makes me cringe. But I do think some of that can be coached, and, and he seems smart enough to, to, to be able to, to make some adjustments in that regard. Uh, May is, again, a razor hair behind at, at number three. I'm just a little bit concerned um, about, frankly, performances where he didn't throw the ball particularly well against some of the better defenses. I know he wasn't on as good of a team as some of these other guys. Not his fault necessarily. But, you know, again, a couple of those low-light games throwing the football uh, are the ones that I watched that kind of stood out to me. But, again, if Daniels didn't exist or if they drafted him number two, Still, I'm celebrating. I think he's a stud. Yeah, I don't want to sit here and pretend like you're out on Drake May. I am, and I'm not picking on you as much as I just, I am fascinated by the number of people, and maybe you're not even in this category, but who are decidedly like Daniels over May with some of the the precursor numbers that are there if you're digging on them, just screaming in your face. You know, you look at Jaden Daniels does not throw between the numbers in the middle of the field, basically at all. 10 to 22 yard throws, middle of the field, 9.3% for him of his throws, 163 out of 196 quarterbacks since 2019. Only one other quarterback that's been drafted in the first or second round has rated that low in that stat, and it was Justin Fields, who still has that fatal flaw, and it's killed him in the NFL with the Bears. You know, most of his mm-hmm. throws are outside the numbers. You're looking at for Jaden Daniels, and again, I like him. The, the film speaks for itself. He was the Heisman Trophy winner. But if you're trying to predict him moving forward, well, again, I'm just trying to figure out why people are so decidedly him over May. Lowest career deep attempt percentage of this year's class. If you look at the top two rounds worth of quarterbacks who have been drafted over the last 15 or so years, and you look at the lowest amount of the throws they've made in their career that are deep, the list in order in this stat from worst getting a little better, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, Bryce Young, Josh Rosen, Mac Jones, Jaden Daniels, Paxton Lynch, Kyle Trask, Will Levis, Christian Hackenberg, Marcus Mariota. That is not a great list that that I want (laughs) to be on in an analytic that I care about. Now, that did get better this year. He threw the ball deep way more often, way way more consistently. Yeah, two with two first-round wide receivers. Yeah, two number one (laughs) wide receivers. 72% of his passes, 20-plus yards downfield, went to receivers with three-plus yards separation. You know, Daniels, what, what do I care about? Don't scramble out of a clean pocket. Most in the class, scrambling out of a, a, a clean pocket. Uh, Justin Fields, 9.1% of the time. Daniel, 7.2% of the time. You know, May, Richardson, Caleb Williams, 5% or less. Um, he played a lot better competition, clearly, no doubt about it. 10 games, top 25 versus 3 for Drake May. 22 against the top 50 versus 9 for Drake May. But, you know, 62% of his throws were to open or wide open receivers. Drake May, 57%. Caleb Williams, 57%. I just think he had it easier in a lot of ways, even though he was in the SEC this year with two elite receivers. And I happen to think, by the way, Malik Neighbors is going to be a top 10 wide receiver in football. Like, I love Malik Neighbors. I, there's not much of a track record with LSU receivers being good at the next level, GP. I don't know about that. Oh, wait. Uh, yeah, it's the the people that, are, that definitively are going no to Drake May, I, I think that's crazy. I think that's crazy. 
Now, I don't think I don't think a single person that's listening to us has access to all the numbers that you have been rattling off about his consistency throwing passes inside on days where it's raining outside and 14 yards to 17 yards windows on second no, but, down. But to be but, fair, I mean, stick aside, like those aren't when someone named Beth is sitting in section 413. These are critical stats. This is pressure to sack percentage. You know, the ability to not leave a clean pocket is pertinent. Uh, throwing in the middle of the field in college, translating to the NFL. The guys that were bad at it did not play well in the league. Like, these are important stats. To, absolutely. I, I guess I guess what I'm saying is the nobody's using that kind of data when they're when they're dismissing Drake May, is, is my point. It's a – I think some of the stuff is fallacy. You went yeah, to, he, you went, he played at the same school the UNC, as – He's a taller Sam he, Howell. I've heard, he I heard struggled against Clemson that time when all of the receivers dropped passes. Like, that. those are the things you're hearing. Right. I mean, so – and I, I am not telling you I've poured over tape or anything else. I watched him play three times this year. One game was pretty good. The other two, I was going, I don't love him as, as a thrower. That's the end. It, uh, so that's that's why he's a hair behind uh, the Heisman Trophy winner for me, but not like off my board, which he is for some people. Uh, let me round out my top six just super quick. Number four is Michael Penix. I love that dude. I'm a huge fan of his, overcoming so many different things. I think he could be an asset for somebody. Uh, Bo Nix is number five, and J.J. McCarthy is 287,000, but for this list, number six. <laughs> I'm actually you – know, this is where I'm just going to be frank. You know, I, I have too many people in my ear from around football. Uh, I got J.J. McCarthy fourth in climbing. <laughs> so, oh, I know it. <laughs> he, I'm, I'm quickly becoming a J.J. McCarthy guy more than I thought I would be. I'll put Bo Nix five. Him and Penix, you could throw him into a – kind of a blender and pull one out. I really like uh, Penix. I really like Knicks. I, I believe, I, I've said this for a little while, I think all six of these quarterbacks could end up being good NFL QBs. Like if you told me that Knicks or Penix or McCarthy hit and like those guys are 10-year starters, that would not shock me. I, I think this is a great class, all the more reason why some of the teams that are desperate for QBs should be excited. Uh, we'll get more into Washington's quarterback chances and the athletic story about a possible trade back later. We can do that after the Blitz next hour. But let's win off the field next. If you want to tell us what little teeny tiny moral victory made your day better that no one would care about, WOTF on G&D, minutes away. And then what? Grant and Danny welcoming you back on the fan. Thank you for making this show part of your day. It is time to figure out how you are winning off the field. These are little mini moral victories that have made your day better that nobody else would care about. The smaller the better, frankly, for this segment. Danny, I mm -hmm. have been able to eat food today. Hey, here we go. I ate some crackers. Let's go. Real-life actual crackers, twice, okay. two different times. All right. And I drank water with a little pinch of zero-sugar Gatorade in it. All right. Therefore, I am. Winning off the field. I have a bit of an extended shout-out that I must do here. Uh, enormous thank you to the folks at Down the Line Sports Center, Pickleball, in Fairfax. They let me come out this morning, GP. I cashed in every bit of credibility and whatever minor, I don't know if you call it celebrity, whatever that you and I have, I used it to be able to shoehorn my way into the session that they had this morning at 10 o'clock where I got to play with professional pickleball players this morning. 
I played with Connor Garrett and Rafa Hewitt, who are literally professional money-making pickleball players on the tour. Uh, We got to rally, work on a few different drills, got some coaching from those guys. Everybody there was so, so cool. First of all, the place is awesome. Second of all, they were like, yeah, you can wallow your fat butt in there and get embarrassed by these superstars and pros. But uh, I did fine, got some great lessons, but the whole thing was a blast. That was a really, really cool experience, and I got to have it. Therefore, I am. Winning off the field. Did you hold your own, or, or was it competitive, or what was the point of it? No, it's a great it's a great question. So it was uh, every player there was better than me. That's a given because there were two pros. But the other folks that were there also, that were part of our group, were also much better players than me, much higher level. Um, and so it was one part, like, kind of a chance to have some open play, but a lot of instruction, sort of like a little mini clinic that these pros were having for regular peons. So we're, it would basically be like, imagine – uh, you're like, I love baseball. And the Astros like, we can have a Nationals camp. And like, Josiah Gray is like, here's why I throw my two-seamer. Like, to some, you know, dude. Okay, in, so in it was league. more coaching than you're, yeah. like, playing against. So them. they're playing. We, I mean, we rallied, had a few points. Like, I got to play on Rafa Hewitt's team and then played against him a little bit, too. He's really good. But, like, we did. A, they gave us a chance to, to play with them as well as we're working on certain drills and competitive games and uh, and different things. But it was it was so awesome. The place is, is really cool. Good for you. You yeah. love pickleball. I love There's it. no doubt. By the way, the weird uh, like tights that you wore that you took a picture of on Instagram, I'll I'll never unsee that picture. Well, I, I have them with me. And I, I was going to show them to you, but of course you're not here. Yeah. Uh, and for 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 folks that like to see that, it's at Humorous Danny. There, it's three separate pieces of material. It's not just because some people are like, why don't you just get tights? Or why don't you just get compression pants? That is not good enough for my out of shape disgustingness. I have to have a calf sleeve that's just for calves so that they don't cramp up or, or strain. Now I have to uh, start to wear knee braces to keep those things in line. And the real things here are the sausage casings that go all the way up right just underneath the, uh, the berry and veg to uh to sort of keep the quad and groin in line. I can't just do a sleeve that's not good enough. I need more individual compression. So three things it uh wrapped it up very nicely. Wow. That picture did happen. It's a lot. And, I, mean, I shared just, it with the people. You you look 100 when you wear stuff like that. Like could you just not? I mean, you, no. you could just not do that. I mean, just show up and play, man. I would like that. I now acknowledge that's not what can happen anymore. <laughs> I missed the junkies pickleball open because I tried to move a worm off the court and I pulled my groin grant. Okay. I, I'm not into pulling stuff. I'm going to take precautions and that's what precaution looks like. I was let's also to, wearing my bike helmet, by the way. That's what well, your bike helmet is. Did you get into the building or I'm did kidding. you get stuck in the door? I'm that's just fun and big helmet. Rich is in only hello, Rich. How are you? What's going on, bud? So I got a text message from uh, some of the dads, uh, you know, on the street saying, hey, on Sunday it's going to be beautiful. We should just take our sons up to Lone Oak Brewery, let them run around. So I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get permission from the wife to do this. And then I get a phone call and says, I'm going to go running to Bethesda. From Bethesda! Thank you, Darius. <laughs> and have lunch with my running team. So I don't even have to ask permission. Therefore, I am. Winning off the field. Ah, look at him. He's got a plan. And there it is. Nobody's better at finding out ways to go do things away from the fam, or or the wife at least. Let's go to Kevin in Falls Church on Grant and Danny. How are you, Kevin? Hi, Kevin. Hi, guys. Uh, so last night I confiscated. Nope, I stole a blow pop from my son. This this afternoon I'm walking out to my car to go home from work, reach in my pocket for my keys. Boom! Great blow pop. Ipso facto, yo soy. 
winning off the field. He did he, it in Spanish right there, by the way, Darius. Uh, yeah, Darius was very uh, thrown off. Darius was looking at me like – He was just saying, I am, man. Is that, That's all he was doing. Is that, so not to, not to be a stickler, but I think that might be Yo Estoy because you're currently – Yo Soy is I am, and that's kind of more permanent. Does that make sense? Like, I would say Yo Soy Danny means that I am Danny. I think it's Yo Estoy, like the current version of the verb. I'm going to – oh, I hate to do that. I'll let you figure that out yeah. with him. Uh, I'm going to focus on the, the lollipop part of that. Yep. I like the confiscated turned into stole because he knew he when knew. he took it he and knew. put it in his pocket – he didn't think about it all day, obviously. It was just kind of there when he put his hand in. But at some point, that was going to be his pop. Let's go to Paul in Fairfax. What's up, buddy? Hey, guys. Um, uh, Grant, sorry to hear you haven't been able to eat, and so you might really appreciate this, but you also might hate it. I'm a teacher, and I just had an activity where my students each cooked a homemade dish from a different country in the world. They all brought it into the classroom, and we ate like kings and queens. I just ate food from 24 different countries, and because of that, I am winning off the field. Okay, that's tremendous, and it's also an awesome scam. You know what I mean? We're like, you, you did a potluck. You know, we're like, okay, kids, representative of everyone around the world, just bring me num nums. That's what a, a great killer plan, right. Paul. I love it. And and they have to do all the work, which yep. is great. Hey, a shout out to Ryan Clare at Teach Falls Church High School, his alma mater. Atta boy. Thank you, sir. And good job. Keep on doing what you got to do to be fed well by your students. I think that's a sharp way to go. Beltway Blitz is next. The teams in town you care the most about. And the possibility of trading back, something that was examined by one of the commander's beat reporters today. We'll dive into that as we go on the fan. He's Danny. I'm Grant. This is The Fan. Beltway Blitz, minutes away. Kick off your future with the law firm of Kondorian Murad, the official show sponsor on GND. They'll help protect your assets, update your will and trust, schedule a free estate planning strategy with one of their Fairfax-based attorneys, and visit kmlawyers.com. Make sure to mention the show to get a discount. kmlawyers.com. We've got breaking news into 106.7 The Fan, and it's big commander's news again. About an hour and a half ago, we found out that Charles Leno was informed he was being released. Well, the other of the expected and potential cap casualties for Washington also being cut today, Logan Thomas, tight end, has been told he is being released by the commanders. Breaking news on 106.7 The Fan brought to you by Beat the Streak for tips to win a $5.6 million prize. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. So, Danny, 
Leno, we broke down when it happened. Let's do that before the blitz here with Logan Thomas. Yep. Really good player here in Washington, particularly the peak back in 2020, his first year. He was fantastic. And this was one of the hits of the Rivera era. He and Leno both, interestingly enough, both gone here as this regime takes over. Yeah. But they brought him in. He'd never caught more than 16 balls in a season. They viewed him as a value grab. They paid him almost nothing. His first year, big role as a tight end in the league, came in Washington, 72 catches on 110 targets, 670 yards, six touchdowns. He was outstanding. Then, part of the way through uh, the following season, he got hurt, ended up tearing his ACL in Vegas, and really he has not been the same player since. 18 and 39 catches in 21 and 22. He was much better last year, but the production was inconsistent. He ended up with 15 at five grabs for about 500 yards and four touchdowns. Took a couple violent hits to the head and missed some time as well. But you're talking about a guy who turns 33 years old before the start of the season like Charles Leno. Missed 15 games with injury over the last three years. You know, it hasn't been the same since 2020. And this one, really, they don't get penalized much. It's a $1.7 million dead cap penalty, and they create $6.5 million in cap space. Not that they need it, because they already have an unbelievable amount of money that GM Adam Peters told us they won't use all of. But they create a lot of space here. You now don't have a left tackle. You now need a starting number one weapon at tight end. So we knew that these were already needs. They've become more substantial needs, I suppose. But not stunning necessarily that they're attacking these two roster spots with two of the highest paid players on the team. So, again, echo what I said about Charles Leno for Logan Thomas. Great dude. Easy to see why you'd want to have a guy like that around on your club, in your locker room, et cetera. But the productivity's not there. The separation's not there. The explosion's not there. He had a couple games, GP, where he looked like his couple years ago self, where he looked spry and and explosive and, and quick. But for the most part, it just looked like he didn't have it anymore. And that's... Again, that sucks. That's not his fault. All he did was play hard and end up getting hurt. But, yeah, this one was more of a no-brainer to me. I wasn't sure what they would do with Leno, honestly, because of that dead cap hit. Um, uh, and maybe not knowing, wanting to enter in the uncertainty uncertainty rather of, of a tackle market, whether it's a draft or, um, or free agency. But tight end, to me, is an upgradable position, and it's easy to do so. Whether it's, again, in this draft, you could spend not that much in free agency and have somebody that's more impactful down-to-down than, than Logan Thomas has been the past couple of years. Again, great dude, but... Clearly has lost, at least you know to the naked eye, has lost a step or two, and I don't know how great of a blocker he was, um, and that's kind of the dirty little secret there that you know Bates is fine there and even solid as an inline blocker, but if Thomas isn't really dynamic and beating linebackers and, and boxing out safeties, and he's not blocking all that great, I'm not really sure what it is you do here, you know, to go office space style on it. They needed an upgrade of that position. I argued before last season, by the way, especially now. Yeah, it was pretty obvious a year ago, and they opted you know, not to address the spot. So a couple of things then financially here after this move. So Washington, you know, if you look at the big salary cap space number that will be floating around, they're now well north of $90 million. In terms of effective cap space, so that accounts for basically the rookie class that they've got to sign and the fact that they don't have 51 guys on their roster. So that they've got to add another, you know, X amount of players, even if you project that at the minimum or close to it. So it's actually more like mid eighties million. But they've added another fourteen million dollars to like the low end 
and everyone's numbers go way down if you do it this way to effective cap space, which was like $72 million to $75 million, depending on where you're looking. So they've basically that number's now up into the upper 80s again in terms of how much they could actually spend. Peter's already told us they weren't going to spend all their money before they freed up this cash. But because today they're releasing their fourth Charles Leno and sixth Logan Thomas, highest paid players, we're bordering on comical when you look at their payroll and how little money they've got on the books at this point. That's right. Like, it's pretty hilarious. I mean, McLaurin, Payne, and Allen, who they've locked up, one, two, and three. Then their highest paid players are Andrew Wiley, who is a low-paid right tackle who gave up nine sacks last year. Nick Gates, who got benched as their center last year. I mean, Tress Way is now their eighth-highest-paid player, Yikes. their punter. Yeah. Think and, about that. And we love Tress on this program, but yeah. Tress is dude. the man. He doesn't even make $4 million. Yeah, but come on. What are we doing? It, just, it tells you, again, how barren the cabinet is left over from this previous regime, right? Like, where there's on, on one hand, yeah, they haven't left the, you know, the next group with too many, quote-unquote, bad contracts. But on the other hand, you'd like to have a base – You'd like to have a couple more Paynes and Allens and, and, and guys that are starters that you don't have to worry about upgrading. But they're, they've already moved on, as you said, from two of their top six salary cap hits this year. At some point, we need to get into whether or not anything they're doing, which right now seems like common sense, right? But I saw today Spotrack came out and said, hey, here's a guy to look out for as a possible trade candidate, mm-hmm. John Allen. Like if they were to move John Allen, and who's their highest paid player, uh, or, or one of them with pay, behind Payne and McLaurin, mm-hmm. and, and now cut these other two guys, like is there a chance that Peters has already told us we're not going to spend a lot of money, that they just purposefully really reel this thing all the way back in and go into a, a process NFL-like from a 76ers perspective under Josh Harris. But that's something we could talk about in a bit. Let's get to our Beltway Blitz. We'll get things started on the ice. I said at the start of the show today, I think this is the biggest game of the year for the Capitals. I want to see what John Walton, the voice of the Caps, thinks about that. J-Dub, I think that they've got to get four points in their next three and that two in regulation tonight. Kind of is the whole ball game for them moving forward. Where are you at on this home tilt with the Flyers? I completely agree with you on tonight. I would even go a step further that they've got to get six points in the next six, and that includes a game in Pittsburgh on Thursday. They're going to be out of racetrack before the deadline, and the deadline is a week from today, and you've got to be able to show that, hey, listen, this team wants to make a run for the eighth spot, and tonight – To your point, absolutely. Got to have it against the Flyers. Right now, they're the third-place team in the Metro, but they're catchable. Uh, They're not going out and loading up at the deadline. Their general manager has said so. Uh, They're sticking with a long-term plan. So when you've got that team at home in your building, you have the worst team going in the NHL in Arizona here on Sunday. They've lost 14 in a row going into play tonight in Ottawa. And then you've got your rival game and another divisional game that says, Look, they're on the outside looking in, and they're lower than you are. you got to win that one, too. If you win those three games, then in my mind it's game on, going to the deadline. But what they ran out of in Detroit on Tuesday was racetrack. They don't have any runway in front of them. They've got to get wins. They have to get points. And 100%, biggest game of the year, uh, and then you've got to go and get two more and then see what happens once you get a little further into the month of March. That Detroit game stung, John, but you know, second game of a back-to-back as you're traveling away, you know, one's at home, one's in Detroit. That, that's not an easy ask for anybody. I don't want to say I throw that one out, but grain of salt there. 
previous five, though, Capitals are scoring damn near five goals a game. It, it feels like maybe, I don't want to say corner turn, but have they found something on that offensive end a little bit? Yeah, I think they have, Danny. And what they've done in the month of February is they had 39 goals in 11 games. I mean, that's three and three quarters yeah. goals per night, which is way ahead of where they've been over the course of the season. Power play has been good. Uh, the line with Protus and McMichael and Mantha has been good, with the exception of the game in Detroit. I'd say maybe the last two, uh, and a little bit of a change with Ovechkin, Strom, and Wilson together. That won't be the case tonight. As Hendrick Pierre slots in, they had a really rough go in both of those games. But I think beyond that, I mean, they're scoring goals, and they're even getting a little bit of offense for the blue line. So, yeah, I, that's going to help. Uh, get the power play going, it's been a while, but, I mean, since January 1st, they're pretty close to the top 10 in the league now. So as bad as it was in the first half, it's actually really good right now. And hopefully that extra offense can kind of spur them on here a little bit in these games that they absolutely got to have. John, rest of the Metro, and if you want to look at the playoff picture in the East, you know some of the teams they're vying with, just kind of give us a tale of the tape, if you would, right now. Well, I think the path of least resistance is in your building tonight. Uh, Philadelphia is banged up with injuries. They're not going to have Travis Konechny tonight. They're not going to have Jamie Drysdale in the lineup tonight. And they're in third place, but it's a difference of six points. Caps have a game in hand. Win tonight, it's back to four points and a game in hand. So that seems to be, and oh, by the way, the last game of the season is Washington at Philadelphia. So hmm. if for some reason you get there, you got a chance to get there. Yeah, in, in the last day of the year, uh, so there is a definite path there. Detroit looks like a playoff team to me from what we saw the other night. A lot of speed, a lot to contain there. Tampa Bay looks exploitable to me. Uh, we were just down there last Thursday. Uh, Caps won there, won handily uh, in a lot of ways. Really impressed with the way the Caps played that night. I was not very impressed with the defenseman uh, that Tampa Bay has. And as good as their goalie has been, Andre Vasilevsky, over the last few years in winning Stanley Cups and the like, ESA percentage is under 90. He's not very good this year. So, Maybe Tampa Bay, but I think I look toward Philadelphia where, you know, with two meetings left, one of them here tonight, I mean, that's where this means everything tonight. I mean, you get this one and, you know, you start to feel a little bit better about things going into Sunday afternoon. John, I think a little bit under the radar here, Anthony Mantha's turned in a decent little season. I don't know that we're ever going to get that, like, 50-point level that he had a couple years in Detroit, but he's turning in a nice little campaign. He's on, you know, mid-40s point pacer. I've been pretty impressed. Yeah, I mean, I would even say that he's probably Spencer Carberry or one of them, one of his biggest success stories this year. After the last two years right. where Anthony was nowhere, and to be able to see what he's done this year uh, seems, you know, he's happier. He's getting points. It's not just the goals. He's bringing along the kids too with McMichael and Protus, and that's a really nice trio. And they they were that way the first part of the year, and then they were gone for a while. Now they're back. And I really like that line. And I think, you know, it's kind of become McMichael's line. You know, I don't know what Mantha's future is here. If this team turns into a seller between now and next Friday, he's going to get a lot of interest given the year that he's had. But I think that's gotten, you know, a lot of traction for him personally because of the year he's had. I think the head coach deserves a lot of credit. I think Anthony himself deserves the most credit for that. Really, really nice year. Couldn't agree more with him. John, thank you, sir. Have a great call tonight. Call some goals and a win. No pressure. Yeah, we need some of those. Thanks, fellas. Thank you, buddy. Be good. Let's talk some hoops. Hey, this is not a Wizards question for Chase Hughes of Monumental Sports, so I'll apologize in advance. But I'm now obsessed with uh, Victor Wembanyama. Like some of his highlights and the games that I've watched now, it's just insane. You saw him in person. Was it one of the craziest things you've ever seen? 
Um, you know, I saw him in Las Vegas a couple times, but not actually playing because the Wizards were in like the auxiliary gym playing at the same time. But I saw him walk by and it was crazy. It's like seven four seven five. And then I actually showed up to that game late because I did sideline reporter for uh, for a few high school games that day. And as soon as I saw him, I was like, holy bleep. Like <laughs> when he was yeah. running up and down the court because the way he towered over like Marvin Bagley the third, for instance, who's six ten, was just absolutely incredible. And then just some of the plays, like the block shots, the the way he could shoot from long range, the alley oops, it, it's as advertised. It's like nothing we've ever seen before. Did you guys see Danny, I'll, I'll tag you in on this too. Did anyone see and it was two seven footers, like it's the craziest Him and thing. Chad ever. Yes. Last night. It looked like two letter eyes going up against each other. <laughs> so much. <laughs> Chet is like taking him off the bounce and going between the legs. Looks like a point guard. And Wemby's just shuffling like a Tom Amansky basketball video. Like Coach K taught him to do or something. You know, and it, it, it's like crazy. And then he blocks him right back into Chet's face. It was crazy, Chase, what this kid can do. Honestly, uh, that's one of the most impressive thing, like details that I've noticed about him is the way he can just like flip his hips and trail a, a ball handler driving to the rim. Like he moves like a guard, and obviously it stands out the way he handles the ball on offense, but defensively too. Like he has a chance to be uh, the best defensive player all time. I, I really believe that hmm. because this year, as a rookie, he leads the league like by far in stocks, like steals plus blocks uh, combined. And he's got a pretty good case for defensive player of the year, although Rudy Gobert is the favorite to win it because the Timberwolves have the number one defense. But no one has been more disruptive in terms of forcing turnovers than Victor Wimbanyama. Just casually dominating for old Randy Duye's fantasy team, too, I might add, uh, Chase. Uh, <laughs> I want to ask you about Denny Avdia. Uh, overtime loss last night, whatever. But to me, Avdia's doing a little bit of that I, I hate this comp because they're totally different players, different athletes, but a little of that Sean Marion, speaking of box score stuffing, right? It's a little something different every night. The assists here, great rebounding last night with 15 boards, 15 assists. He does a little bit of everything on the court, starting to play some pretty solid basketball here. I know you wrote about his growth a little bit ago, but but quantify this, how far he's come from where he was. Yeah, it was impressive last night because he had come back from a left heel injury and looked great. Um, you know, obviously we've talked about how uh, impactful he's been in transition when he gets moving at 610 with his speed and his ability to handle the ball it's really difficult to stop him and so he's gotten a lot better at getting to the rim finishing around the rim and the three-point shooting I think has just opened up everything for him I was looking at his numbers the other day he's shooting 60 percent from uh, the left corner from three-point range and 40 percent from the other um, and about 40 percent on the season overall so the rebounding has been a big piece. I, I, I like that comp because Sean Marion was obviously a very versatile defender, uh, a very good rebounder, and at his best could also score the ball and shoot from long range. And Sean Marion, by the way, I believe should be a Hall of Famer. I know Drew Gooden said that on the broadcast recently, um, but I, I've been saying that for years. I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. Chase, always good catching up, buddy. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Absolutely, guys. Have a good weekend. See you, bro. The Commanders announcing – Sorry about that, Chase. Oh, I mean, wow. he, he did not like the end of that. You don't get any more like. Wizards discussion then, Chase. Boom. Uh, the Commanders releasing Charles Leno, left tackle, and Logan Thomas, tight end, freeing up nearly uh, $15 million in cap space today as if they needed more of that. Here's what I wanted to get into next before we actually talk about the Ben Standig uh, story in The Athletic about the possibility of trading back, which I wanted to tackle with you. Mm-hmm. 
Remember when Adam Peters came on our show and said he didn't want to be active in free agency? Or uh, better yet, let me quote him correctly. He didn't want to have a big spending spree in free agency. Are they even going to have a choice? Their punter, who we love, Uh. is the eighth highest paid player on the team. You know, it's amazing how much flexibility when you have when you lack really good players. Yeah, They're going to have to spend money whether they want to or not. They're going to have to bring in a bevy of new starters. But let's get into that next here on The Fan. Thanks to Toby for the update. Welcome back to Grant and Danny on the fan. Charles Leno and Logan Thomas cut. Teams made it official this afternoon. Two of the veterans, leaders, more outspoken guys in the locker room for sure. Uh, They are both going to be looking for work now this offseason outside of D.C. Big hit from a leadership standpoint. They're going to restructure the entire locker room, and it's going to look very different. But Terry McLaurin occasionally will speak up. Remember, it was a big deal when he gave a speech after a a big win. I think it was last season or a year before. Uh, John Allen's obviously very vocal. Payne's more of a, you know, just a a good player who goes about his business and lead by example type. But Logan Thomas and Charles Leno were two of the people are gathering around their locker to see what they're saying type guys here. Now, this was not a good team. They didn't win a whole lot. So I don't know what that gets you, but. Work to do, both from a standpoint of adding veterans, where there's so few now in the building. I mean, looking at the highest-paid players on this team, I've been joking that Tressway, the punter, is now eighth on that list. How about Jamin Davis is now, I think, sixth. Uh, Jahan Dotson, who's going to make like $1.5 million against the cap, or maybe a little more than that this year. That was last year's base salary. You know, he's one of the highest-paid players on this team now. Like, they just – they have a ton of flexibility, and that's great. And We should celebrate how uh, smart it was by this ownership group to not add a lot of money to the books last year. But it's easy to not have a lot of money committed when you don't have a lot of talent, this and that's is, where they're at. This is, the, this is the nail we've been trying to hammer down for, for you folks here for a couple of years. Yeah, it's, it's more or less a blank canvas. The top three guys, McLaurin, Payne, Allen, yes. And one of those guys might be a great trade candidate, as, as you know, speculated and floated by a couple. No idea their plans there. I don't know how much more of a step they want to take back uh, or how much more you know draft capital that might be worth to them. It's worth exploring. TBD on that. But, yeah, three guys making north of 20. Danny. And, yeah, go ahead. Sorry to cut you off. The sorry. hits keep on coming. We got another one coming in here. Uh, we got to go breaking news again. I mean, this one is a little less foreseen but tells you just how much business they mean. So let's get to it. Breaking news on the fan again, brought to you by Beat the Streak for tips to win a $5.6 million prize. Listen wherever you get your podcast. The Commanders informed center Nick Gates, who signed a three-year deal with the team last offseason, oh. that they will release him at the start of the new league year in mid-March. Gates is due not even $2 million guaranteed for the coming season. They obviously uh, benched him last year. The Rivera group signed him to be their starting center. They swung and missed. Nick Gates is now being released, according to Adam Schefter of ESPN. So he is the third player to be cut by the team today. They did not announce in their original press release this afternoon 
uh, his name, but Schefter says this is not happening today. They've told him that at the start of the league year, he will be released. So if they cut him with a pre-June 1st designation, that's not that's like next to no savings at all. It's a $5 million plus dead cap hit. They would save $333,000 on uh, the cap. Post-June 1st, you split it up a little bit, you get a couple million bucks back. But that's message sent right there. That's a, we don't think you can play for us, and we have no interest in you taking up space in a locker room. Wow. That's, yeah, that, that one surprises is, me, dude. That one's way less... I think money related to your point because they're not making cash in that transaction. Yeah, right? that, that's a your services are not required. Which you know I, I hate to say it that way. We we've talked to him, good dude. I didn't think he was awful. First of all, he struggled, no doubt about it. But he was playing through some injury. He came back and played later in the year, played a little better, but it didn't work. Full stop. So that means they've cut their fourth, sixth and seventh highest paid players in cap number today. Three of their top seven. That is, what is the phrase I'm looking for? House cleaning. <laughs> that is a, this dude, this is a new regime. But it's almost like they, Damn. you know, they're acting like, you know, if they had $2 million in cap space and they're just freeing up a bunch of money to go spend. Like, no, they already had $80 million that they weren't going to spend. they they're, Peters they're, came yeah. on our show. He's like, yeah, that's a big number you just cited to me. We're not going to spend all that, but let's just keep freeing up more. Why not? Because this is more about we want guys at that expense level that we want, not mistakes of the past. We don't want football players in here that we don't think can play for us. That's what this is. Now, it puts extra pressure, right? I was t- I was tweeting with somebody uh, a little bit earlier in, in the program. I met Funny Danny Grant's at Grant H. Paulson. You know, I, I sort of wish they – the point that they were making was I wish they had a solution here before you make some of these moves. And I can understand that, that reservation, maybe the trepidation that you won't be able to find someone as good. Moving on from these three guys right now tells me, and I, and I wonder what your interpretation is, Jeeps, they don't think very highly of these three at all in terms of their ability to play for this team, not only this year, but in, in, in future years. And it's, I don't mean to beat up on these guys. It's not personal. But their evaluation is, trust us, we'll do better. You know what I mean? Like this is a, we've got no problem filling these voids that we're creating for ourselves. You move on from Trent Williams in his prime. Yeah, you made a void. You made a big damn hole and it's going to be hard to fill it. This is one of those things where they go, we'll do this now and we'll be just fine. Yeah, I I think it should be noted though that while yes, I think it's an indictment on what they thought of these three guys helping them this season, two of them are 33 and injuries are a factor, right? Leno's going to have hip surgery, it sounds like. Um, Logan Thomas, the last couple of seasons, has been working his way back from a real serious knee injury and then banged up and missed, I don't remember what I said, 17 games over three years, something like that. 15 games over three years. I mean, Nick Gates, I think it's a different story. Like, two of those guys had been proven starters who played at a high level for them. But, yeah, I think that's what you're seeing is they're looking at – they did their evaluation. They looked at the tape. This new staff has been doing their self-scout. You and I were at the building couple of whenever that was a couple of weeks ago when we talked to all the assistants I left there after our show at 6:50 at night it was dark out I was leaving the building after packing up all the wires and doing everything I had to do and I drove through the uh, past the building on all those windows you had assistant coaches staring at screens the with little glow. game film playing yeah it was it was actually a great picture I, I tried to take it but I couldn't really get the light and a fox actually ran right past me in the parking lot and I got scared and jumped in my car that's a true story by the way but it was a it was beautiful 
if you're a fan, if you care about this stuff. It's the kind of thing I would have loved to have seen as a teenager, someone in my 20s. You know, every every row, it's all dark pretty much everywhere in the building, except you could see that that warm neon glow from inside, right, as the, everybody's clearly watching film. Yeah, and so they, they put their thoughts together, and I think pretty clearly looking at what guys made and what they were going to pay them, they decided we could do better cheaper. I just, as I said going to break a few minutes ago, I think it sounds good to say we're not going to have a spending spree. And I think that's a good precedent to set if you don't want to be a a team that's built on free agency. You want to be draft first. You want to send that message. You don't want people expecting that you're shopping at the top of the market, what have you. That's great. When you cut three of the top seven cap number guys on your roster, when you already had the most cap space, and we're talking about your punter now moving up. I've been saying eighth. Now your punter is your seventh highest paid player on your team. They're, get ready. They're going to spend money, whether they want to or not. They can't not. They're going to bring in a slew of starters because they just need to. Yes. You need 53 guys on the team, and some of them are going to have to be pretty good at football. Like that, That's just right. how this is going to happen. You don't have to say go. it by simply not having the position filled like a lot of companies do, you know, where, they're just, where they fire someone and don't rehire the position. Like they mor- you can't morph departments. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the running back can't also be the D tackle. Nick Gates, Charles Leno, Logan Thomas out for the Commanders. They're respectively, in Leno's case, fourth, Thomas's case, sixth, and Gates's case, seventh highest paid players against the cap when the day began. I mentioned, I thought that the Leno decision was very indicative and telling, by the way, on the offensive line and how seriously they were going to take addressing that position. I mean, you tell me if I'm wrong, but Gates easily could have just been depth. They wouldn't have had to cut him. He, he doesn't make a lot of money. You've got nothing but money. He can play guard and center. Tell me if you've heard this before. He's got position hey, flex, okay? He really, really does, okay? But, I mean, these were two of the guys that were primary starters for you, even though he got benched at one point. But I, I just think this speaks very, very loudly, and I'm excited about it, to them essentially saying – that the status quo of how they went about the offensive line is not going to work here, that they're going to do things a little bit differently. Yeah, again, I, I, I think that's a, a sharp way to look at it. it. To me, it's twofold, right? I know I've already brought this point up before, but doing it now this early, A, you're doing a courtesy to veterans, right? Giving them a chance to you know be early in the process instead of cutting a guy late and making it harder for him to catch on with the team. But you're, you're very confident that you can do better. Even though there's great uncertainty in this in this tackle market, for example, there, there's uncertainty probably in, in in every market that you're going to be a part of. It's a it's a comfort feeling where we think so little of this group that that we're moving on from at this stage that even if we don't get our first, second, third, tenth, fifteenth, eighteenth choice, we'll be better off without these guys on, either on our payroll in terms of cap savings or in terms of on our roster at all in, in terms of gates. And second fold, I think you're 100 percent right. It it does signify that. This isn't just, we're not doing placeholders. We're not just going to do, well, this guy's okay. They're not shooting for okay, I don't think, uh, when it comes to that offensive line position, as as now, as we've seen, a weakness here relatively over the last couple of seasons, uh, despite Rivera taking over a top 10 group, depending on, on your ranking system, and he was trumpeting that to everybody, by the way, who would listen, it's now not very good, and it's a group that needs dramatic improvement, and I think this group sees that. Yeah, a couple of things I would say, too, about all the money that they have. Number one, with all of the the dead cap, I would put it all into this year. 
it's going to be more dead cap than they probably ever had in one year. Here. You're going to want it when it's build up, when it's build finish line time to be really good. Yeah, exactly. But mm-hmm. rather than spreading it out, I don't care if you have 25 million in dead cap or something when it's all set and done. No harm, no foul if, if you're not even using all this space as it is. So I wouldn't, like with this Gates thing, I'm not spreading two and a half into next year. Just take on the five-plus million in dead money. Also, I would front-load contracts. Uh, if Same. I'm going out and yeah. signing someone to a, you know, I'm just going to throw it out there. But Bryce Huff, the guy that I hope they sign on the edge, the Jets defensive end who had double-digit sacks this past season, really strong metrics and pass rush win rate the last couple of years. You know, if you were to sign him to uh, a three-year uh, $57 million deal or something. I would give him maybe a bigger than a $19 million cap number this year and have a little bit less money on the books for the next couple of seasons. I, I think, think that's smart. one way yeah. they can get creative and use some of this cap space. Um, the other thing I would do is, you know, someone here uh, tweeted me, uh, Delta on, on X said they can front load deals and re-sign their own players. Well, the front loading deals, as I just said, I love. What players are you looking to re-sign really? You know, I mean, McLaurin's got his deal. Payne's got his deal. Allen, we'll see if he's back, has his deal. Cam Curl is hitting the market. So I guess if he doesn't have the the interest that he expects, they could re-sign him, or we could find out that they beat the, the market and, you know, his agent's been making calls or talking at the Combine, and he wasn't going to get as much as he thought so he can come back. But I think Cam Curl's going to free agency. That's my expectation there. Who else? Like, they can I'm, sign their own guys. What other guys do they want to re-sign? So I'll, I'll throw it out there. And my answer, by the way, is not yes to, to these guys, but just, just thinking out loud here as, as we go. Curtis Samuel, Kendall no. Fuller. Well, but I'm not talking about free agents. Sorry. I, I, I took what he said to mean, like, lock up your own guys oh, with I see. extension. I see. I see. And my point is the next wave of players are not guys that have warranted, like Jamin Davis, mm-hmm. Jahan Dotson is still not even able to get there. They could, if they wanted to give Cosme a big contract right now, in fact, that would make a lot of sense. That would be one guy. But, like, otherwise, St. Juiced and Forrest and, uh, you know, no. Uh, I, I don't see it. Maybe he means their own free agents, to your point, and they could keep Kendall Fuller or something. I guess that's possible. Right. That's that. I may have, I may have missed not, – not translating that right, but just I was trying to, trying to imagine, okay, I'm saving this because I know certain guys are coming up for extension. Respectfully, there aren't many. You know, and that's Cosme's kind of, the one guy on this yeah. team that I would say right now – I'd love to do a good extension. And that's kind of what you and I are hammering. It's what we're talking about here, where we're going. The, the, that's, that's almost one way to kind of judge a talent level in the organization, where you go, well, you got to extend that guy. You can't let that dude walk away. How, how, many, how many of those are there? Fascinating. But what a day. Uh, commanders, we just found out, cutting Nick Gates. So add him to the list that is growing. Charles Leno, Logan Thomas, the team has already confirmed, have been informed today that they are being cut. All right, the Athletics suggested you know, maybe trading back and not taking a quarterback at two makes more sense than people think. Uh, Want to get into that. Also, what an indictment today has been on the Rivera roster build. You know, Some of his recent acquisitions uh, being moved on from by this regime. We'll get into that as we continue. On the fan. Grant and Danny on the fan. Welcome back. Thank you for making the show part of your day. So a couple of things. I want to get into this athletic piece about the commanders 
trading back. We'll do that in a minute. Before we even do that, though, Danny, I saw an NFL Network graphic two nights ago. I don't know if you talked about this. They had a value chart that they used to determine what it would take for each team to trade up to number one. Did you see what they suggested Washington would have to give up to move up? It was oh, – oh, for Washington to move up? No, I didn't see that, actually. Okay, so this is from two to one to go to get Caleb Williams, presumably. They would give up the number two pick, the number 36 pick, so their first, second round pick, the number 67 pick, which is their primary third round selection, a fifth round pick, and then next year's one. So two and 36, two of their top three picks. Now, obviously, you would still be picking at one. So you would essentially have flip-flopped first and second. You'd given up. Your second-round pick, you'd still have one left. Your third-round pick, your fifth-round pick, and a first-rounder next year. I feel like, if nothing else, today's been very instructive in illuminating how many holes they have. As we've talked about, Mm -hmm. no left tackle, Charles Leno cut. No tight end one, Logan Thomas cut. Uh, You you lost depth on the interior at center and guard, Nick Gates cut. Uh, None of this is particularly surprising. I guess the Gates one we didn't really see coming, but didn't play all that well last season. But my point is they need so much that to give up compensation and picks, like I have zero interest in this. Part of that might be, as I said, my own concerns and nerves about some of how Caleb Williams' pre-draft process is going. But when you hear that, second rounder, third rounder, fifth rounder, all this spring, and a number one next year, how do you feel? I feel that the only way that that would make sense to me is if I think Caleb Williams is so much better than everybody else this year, next year, and maybe, honestly, the year after, that I just can't wait. You know what I mean? Like, there, there's – there's now, it's always hard to prognosticate a year or two from now because guys, you know, go from off the radar to very much on. Think of the rise of someone like Joe Burrow, for example, who went from, yeah, this guy's pretty good, or he might have a good year, to, yep, as can't miss as they come, right? So I'd have to, I'd have to think – there is no way that I'll be able to do better at any point in time, and this the gap is so large that it's not worth it. And I do don't you feel think that, way. that? I don't. No, I like Caleb Williams the most. I would take him number one, but and if he falls to number two, I take him number two. But no, that to me is 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 past what I would do. That's I think that's a practical. good point because, like, I would do that for how I felt about Joe Burrow. I would have done that maybe even you know for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, there are guys, Andrew Luck over the years maybe. I just don't put Caleb Williams in the gap in this draft there. But I saw that, and I just wanted to get that out of the way. I, I am adamantly against trading up. You Would you go that far or no? Yes. Okay. Yeah, the, the deal that I would offer would get laughed out of the room. <laughs> so <clears throat> then the question becomes trading back. And Standig wrote about this in The Athletic today, and there were some interesting points that he made. Most notably, he said that – 17 quarterbacks have been selected in the top five since 2014. Think about this. So this is nine drafts, I guess-ish. 17 quarterbacks in the top five. He says only Joe Burrow and C.J. Stroud, based on one season, have met expectations with their original teams. So before we argue any of that, that's pretty fascinating, Mm -hmm. isn't it? It is. Here we are talking about how great Caleb Williams will be, and I, I love Drake May, and I like Jaden Daniels. You love Jaden Daniels. You like Drake May, whatever. 17 QBs in the top five since 2014. 
two, Burrow and one year of Stroud, have met or exceeded expectations. He points out Trevor Lawrence, who's played well, Tua, who's played well, Kyler Murray, who's been effective, high-end levels at times. But right now, this moment, have they lived up to the hype, the expectation? Like, Tua led the NFL in passing yards last year. I think he's mostly Mike McDaniels and wide receiver created, right? But the point is, you could add another three to the list if you're looking for just, like, top half the league quarterback play. And then it's Burrow, Stroud, Lawrence, Tua, Murray. In the top five out of 17 guys, you're talking about a third. Still pretty alarming, right? That's one way to look at it. That's, it is. It's one way to look at it. My point is there just aren't that many quarterbacks. Like, in other yeah. words, there, there are 32 of these gigs. Uh, several, Most of them are taken by guys that are starting year over year over year. So for every Prescott and Cousins and, you know, becoming one of these dudes that's part of the furniture is really rare. So, like, that shooting percentage seems low and might be alarming to people, and they'll just go, see – draft them in the 11th round or do an undrafted rookie free agent or find your Brock Purdy. Well, okay, maybe, but they're, they're, it's such a precious rare thing that I, I don't look at it as, as, as alarming as much as maybe somebody should, but, or as much, maybe well, as some people might, but that's so just So forgive my diction, but maybe the point is like, while we think these guys are awesome and one of them's going to be exceptional, well, there two is. of them are going to be pretty good. It's the fallacy, right? I mean, Maybe the, not. Yeah, the, the Zach Wilson year, people are going, dude, right. nope. You one know? of the biggest holes in my eval game, by the way, still ruining the batting average. I didn't mean to bring that up as like a, as a source. Fiona. Spot. Fiona was no. pissed off, too. Zach Wilson, Fiona. Zach Wilson. She she is not happy about my eval on that. like Zach I Wilson. had such a good batting average until Zach Wilson. But the point of the dude's story is – Jared Goff's not a part of that either. You know, you could say now with Ben Johnson with Detroit where they are, he could be a sixth guy who's played at a really high level, right? But I want to dig deeper into the possibility of a trade back, looking at last year's group, how it's worked out, and what they could get. Because I've seen one rumor floated for what the Falcons might give up to go up to two and the ability, if you're Washington, to reset everything and still maybe get a quarterback in the top 10. So let's dive into that possibility. Is it something they should even be considering or should Adam Peters field those phone calls, ask for the world, and then just take his franchise QB at number two? We'll get into that next on Grant and Danny.
all options are open, Grant and Danny. All options are open. Uh, yeah, we're just going through that process. We're just meeting all the prospects for the first time this week. So that's been a really it's it's been a really cool part of this week. That's the best part of this week, really, for us is getting a chance to meet them for the first time face to face, and then that'll be the first time of many for a lot of these young men. And um, so that's that's way down the road. We probably won't make that decision for a while, but we're uh, we're exploring all options and and then make sure we like. I think I keep saying this, but it's going to be the best decision for the organization. That was Adam Peters on this show on Wednesday calling us Grant and Danny, not Grant and Dave, Grant and Danny. A major upgrade over the previous regime. Tells you a lot about the general manager when he can get names right. I'll bet you he would even have called Kirk Cousins Kirk and not Kurt. Grant and Dave. Wait, wait, so (laughs) that was what our show was called back in 2014 or whatever year that was. Grant and Dave. Now we're just... We're just Grant and Danny. I guess. Grant and Danny. Just, just the name of the show is interesting to be able to use it. <laughs> so according to Bruce Allen, the show is called. Grant and Dave. But Adam Peters, who hasn't known us and been in the market listening for a lot of years, knows us as. Grant and Danny. Very interesting. Bam. Grant and Dave. Grant and in, Danny. Is that, in no way is that indicative of competence, right? Like well, in no way. you know, like each little thing is a thing, is my point. And that doesn't mean you're, he's going to pick the right guy or not the right guy or the quarterback's going to be good or bad. But it's nice. It's, isn't, it nice? isn't it nice just to have that? Do you believe him saying, we heard the cut on the way in, that all options in terms of quarterback are on the table, uh, that they are not dead set on taking one at two, that they might trade up, that they might trade back, that they might go get a veteran? Do you believe that? This is probably a more complicated answer than you want. Technically, yes. In other words, if an offer comes in that's so stupid that it would be irresponsible not to take, they'll still take it. So, if I, so if, in other words, I don't think that's their plan. I think realistically they're going to stay there at number two and take a quarterback. However, if something happens between now and then, that's, as I said, irresponsible to not take this offer like the Ricky Williams offer squared or something insane and outrageous and it would make no sense, they're not going to be hamstrung and tied to that. I think they'll be open to those options. I do think trading back is a possibility, by the way, just, just for the record. a Probably a, a more distinct possibility than, than, than maybe even you do. I don't think it's winning in a tug of war. I think it's easily the majority is they're going to stay at two, take a quarterback, and this is you know overly complicated for no reason. But I do think that trading back is on the board. And I wonder what percentage it is. I don't have a great feel for that yet, but I do think it's a possibility for that. Yeah, I do too. I mean, that's why I brought it up. That That's why we, we're going to talk about this. I do think it's an option because Adam Peters comes from an organization where they have an incredible roster around a final pick in the draft, seventh-round quarterback that just played in the Super Bowl. Does that rub off on you? Does that change the way you view things philosophically? I mean, how could it not? I want them to take a quarterback at two. I want them to fall in love with Daniels or May or whoever. But what if they really like McCarthy and they think they could get him at seven or eight? Or they really like Bo Nix or, or Michael Penix or whoever else. You know, the, Maybe they, they think you know, we actually could get Sam Hartman or uh, Spencer Rattler in the second round at 36 or 40. Or in, the, in you know, Hartman's case, you could probably get him two rounds after right. that. But – we just we don't know who they're going to fall in love with, and it, it is possible. There's a lot of ways they could go with this. So I'm going to separate for a second the fact that I don't want them to trade back. 
I don't want anyone to think that this segment is me advocating for it. But I don't think what I think, or Danny, what you think in this case, because it sounds like you're against the trade back as well. Yeah. I, Yay? I, well, I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm vehemently against it. I, I would have to be wowed. My my biggest takeaway is well, no is, kidding. You'd have to be wow. Well, yeah, but I but you know some people are going. I don't care what the, what's offered. I I need a quarterback. To me, the most important thing, and I, I think I know where the quarterback is going to be. But if they decide it's somewhere else, AK, but still in this draft, I need the draft to end, and then there's a press conference with all the right people, and ladies and gentlemen, the franchise quarterback, and it's a it's a dude that they drafted. I need that. Exactly how that happens, I don't care as much. I would. I have. I but think but so how I big do, of the gap for you is your excitement level for Jaden Daniels as opposed to? I know you can't stand McCarthy, so I won't say him. <laughs> but like, right? I get it. But him or, Nicks or Nicks. Nicks. So it, here, here is where I come from on this. Uh, to 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 answer, answer the question again, probably more complicated than you want. If anyone knew anything, and this was an exact science, we should treat it that way. It's a fallacy to treat it like an exact. It's an exact science because it's not. You see the numbers from Ben Standing. You see the year over year where, where Wilson's can't miss and Lance's can't miss and another guy is is outstanding and, and so few hit. We treat it like it's this binary thing where this guy's an evaluated 7.7, therefore he should go exactly fifth in the draft. Guys, nobody knows. So taking one high is important to me because you know it's it's the bet your best shot at it, but it's also not crazy. Well, let me let me try to rephrase that part. It's crazy to go like let's try it in the sixth round and see what happens. Enjoy your you know your Gabron Hamdens and, and Jordan Palmers. That's a waste of time. But still in the first round, still pretty high if you're still in the top ten or otherwise, and you've got the eyes for one guy over another guy. I say go for it. If it doesn't work, you do it again in a couple of years. If for me, Jaden Daniels to use him, fifty touchdowns against the four picks in the SEC, the film that he put out there, the electricity to his game. It's just a head and shoulders difference with some of the other guys. You know, the guy that I like at 2 May, to, to have the, the 79 big-time throws and just a barely over 2% turnover-worthy play percentage in his career. Like, it, it, the gap for a 6'5", 235-pound quarterback between him and, you know, smaller guys and, or, you know, injury history guys or old guys, you know, Penix checks a couple of those boxes. It is a massive difference in terms of quality of prospect. So that's where I would be frustrated more than anything. But I think we should separate that for a second and just get into the idea of a possible trade back. Mm-hmm. So you, you mentioned the standing numbers for people that weren't listening last segment. He cited that there have been 17 quarterbacks taken since the 2014 draft, and he said only Burrow and Stroud one season last year have met or exceeded expectations, not including guys who have played well but maybe haven't met the expectation. That's Lawrence, Tua, and Kyler Murray, I'd add Jared Goff in there, who's been to a couple conference title games and played in the Super Bowl. So that's a total of six, one, two, three, four, five, six quarterbacks out of 17 that you would say you got pretty quality production out of in the top five over the last nine drafts, meaning you're batting about 333. So like maybe one of these three guys ends up being really good. Are you sure that it's not Williams who goes ahead of you or whoever you don't pick who goes behind you? He then points out Bryce Young from last year, everybody's favorite. Yeah, he was mine. What a dreadful season he had in Carolina. We don't know how much of that is that he can't play versus the situation in Carolina was horrendous. Uh, Anthony Richardson was taken. And I don't think anybody's ready to give up on him. They certainly shouldn't be. Electric talent. But he got hurt. 
you know, top five pick and mm-hmm. the the guy that they signed off the scrap heap that came in, their offense in a lot of ways from a passing standpoint, took flight and they ended up playing at a pretty high level. You know, I, I think the jury's still out on Young and Richardson. But he points to just the number two pick overall and the jury having returned on the conclusions for Mitch Trubisky in 2017, Marcus Mariota 2015, Robert Griffin 2012. You know, these were number two overall picks that on the day of the draft, most people were really, really excited about. So you can do this where you just point out all of the guys that didn't hit, and that's the, the there's a monster under the bed theory, kind of is what I call it. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, the more effective way to look at picking a quarterback too is batting average. You know, how often does it work in the top five? We're saying one-third of the time-ish, about 33% of the time over the last decade compared to late in the first round. I'll bet you the percentage is lower. Second round, third round, I'll bet you the percentage is lower. So that's how I view it is more like how often are you right, not Mm -hmm. how many times did it not go well. Because no matter where you draft, that's going to be the case. It's still more likely to get it right up top. But maybe the biggest point in all of this and the biggest key to all of this is what you could get. There is an argument, it's not one that you or I necessarily subscribe to, but that more important than just landing a good quarterback at number two might be all of the other parts of your roster that can be affected and improved with a trade back if you still end up getting a quality quarterback somehow, some way. So the Falcons have the, I believe it's the eighth pick. Standig asked around, and here is what he heard Atlanta might give up. It's based somewhat on the Washington trade-up to get Robert Griffin from 6-2 to two back in the day. He says that the commanders could get an allotment of picks that would lead to them having two first-round picks next year and two in 2026, so two future ones. That would give them another second-rounder this year, another um, second-rounder in 2025 potentially. Third-round picks, you'd have two in 24, two in 25, uh, one in 26, and then you'd have 10 2024 picks, including four in the first two rounds. You'd still make a first-round pick at eight, moving back six spots. It is potentially, I'd say, accurate to say they could still get J.J. McCarthy right there, Mm -hmm. or you could overdraft one of the other quarterbacks that you like. You could take a left tackle. You could take Brock Bowers, maybe. You could take one of the really good wide receivers. The problem is, you know, there's now all these mocks where McCarthy goes four, and so four quarterbacks could be gone before the sixth pick. Well, the Giants probably aren't trading with Washington to give them their quarterback in the division at six. The Titans at seven are an option. Falcons at eight are very much in the mix. Mm -hmm. Vikings at 11. Broncos at 12. Raiders at 13. So you probably, if if you trade back, Beyond like seven, eight, now you're risking missing out on QB. But what a haul you're talking about getting that resets the whole org. You're just still in a quarterback search mode that you've been in forever. Yeah, that, that we're all used to. Now, they're, they don't have that baggage. We do. I, I mean, to me, the, the only thing I ask in, in these proceedings is a plan. Rivera did not have one. I will, I, I, I will never, ever believe that that guy thought about it for a microsecond beyond what he was doing that week. You know what I mean? The the the, the wind would blow in the, the new direction, and we'll, we'll start calling teams, asking to trade for that quarterback, and then we'll go to Ryan Fitzpatrick or whatever the hell it was. It was just to, to check a box, then go on to the next thing. If they did something like that, GP, where they were going, 
for the sake of argument. We don't love these top three guys. And by the way, I hate that phraseology. That's when Ron Rivera didn't love any of the guys. You still should try to pick one at some point. Somebody needs to pick a quarterback. Anyway, but like they're going, okay, we know where we'll get one. You guys don't yet, but we do. You see what I'm saying? Like there, there has to be a really sharp, thoughtful, multi-layered, three-dimensional chess plan to add this hall, add your, you know, your best left tackle. Maybe it's uh, the kid from Penn State. Then you're going to, you know, have have an extra first round pick where you pick up, um, or you know, a couple second rounders where you're then getting. But this there's no guy, way to know that they'll still get their quarterback. They, they they need to, and to execute something like that, they would have to have a really good idea of where that guy's coming from. I yeah. don't see it. You, you see what I'm saying? Like I yeah. wouldn't have the huevos to do that. I'd go. I know where I get my quarterback, the number two pick. Right. That's easy for me to do. I'll write yeah, down like, the name. I think you could. Let's say they really like JJ McCarthy. Just, I'm just throwing a name out there. And they move back to eight, and they're confident they could get him there. That might not even be the case anymore, right. as crazy as that sounds. It's not crazy, because I think it's going to happen, in fact. Standing in this piece has a high-ranking executive in a front office in the league saying he thinks that McCarthy could be in the mix at two and three. He could definitely go four. There are people that now think the first four picks are quarterbacks. If it's Penix or Knicks, then you could definitely get those guys at eight, I would guess. As an overdraft. What about a, uh, the possibility, though? So your point is you're fine with the trade back if they still draft the QB early, like in round one, right? Yeah, I I, I need the, – the way I, try, I tried to phrase it is it may not be what I would do, but that doesn't matter about what I would do. I need at the end of this draft they go, this is the guy that has all the, the keys to the kingdom. This is our franchise quarterback. And they'll try right. it, and if it doesn't work, we'll do it again in, in three years. I'm, well, that's all I care about. So Peters was on the show Wednesday. I asked him about the possibility of a veteran, you know, the trade-back scenario where they go out and actually spend money on a veteran. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, I think you always look for, for any option to make your make each room better, make your team better. So if you can bring a, a veteran quarterback in there to make that room stronger, to bring in more competition, to bring in um, – more veteran presence. I, I referred to this earlier today, but um, in, in San Francisco a couple of years ago, we we lost Trey Lance, we lost Jimmy Garoppolo, then we lost Brock Purdy, and then we lost Josh Johnson, and we had a quarterback who couldn't throw uh, in the NFC Championship game. So, so you're always gonna, you know, you, you always got to be prepared to need need all those guys. Hopefully, you never do, but uh, along with the quarterback position, any other position, uh, you really want to make those rooms as strong as you can, as deep as you can. It sounded to me like he almost thought I meant just depth, mm-hmm. like bringing in a veteran in the room, more so than a potential starter. That's how I took his answer. Having said that, in this piece, Standing says, listen, you're going to think this sounds crazy, but it's really not. He says, what about if they traded back, didn't take a quarterback at all, signed Kirk Cousins, who's the top free agent quarterback available, for two years, you give him $40 million, fully guaranteed each of the next two seasons. You could add a couple voidable years if you wanted to to knock down the cap number, although with their cap space, I don't think you need to do that. He is <clears throat> your starting quarterback this year, probably next year. If you draft a quarterback at 36 or 40, if Knicks or Penix falls, great. Then you have his replacement possibly for the 2026 season on your roster who you stash for a couple of years. But he also floated the idea of taking Cousins, having him for the two years, kicking the can down the road, and then you just build around him and compete sooner. You, you've you got a top half of the league, you know, top 10, 12, 13, whatever you want to call him, quarterback in the NFL. 
and then you go get Roma Dunze out of Washington, who's an electric wide receiver, or Malik Neighbors maybe, you know, in the middle of the top ten, wherever you trade back to. You go get Darius Robinson in edge, and you come out of this thing with your trade haul looking something like a Dunze, uh, Darius Robinson is the edge, Arizona tackle Jordan Morgan, Texas tight end Jatavion Sanders, all in the first couple rounds around Kirk Cousins. And now you traded back, you didn't get a young quarterback, but you've upgraded at QB, and you've loaded up with a bunch of young supporting cast. That's the get good quick plan. I mean, that's what yeah. that is, right? That, that's, that's your the, fast You track. might be able to make the playoffs as a wild card this season plan. Yeah, that's your that's your ex- express plan. How sustainable is that? I don't know. I don't I, like this. This again is that would be because that's not irresponsible to do it that way. By the way, just as, as a quick side, it, like one of the things I criticized so often over the various regimes under Snyder was they always thought they were one player away. So let's do whatever the quick little fix is, and it was always you know uh, go get. Joey Galloway at the end of his career and play him over three guys they just drafted in the receiver room. Stuff like that always used to drive me crazy. This could be a, we got cap space, we got draft picks. We would have, obviously, a pretty damn competent quarterback. We could be on the fast track to being competitive in this division really quick and maybe build our program that way. That's not that crazy to me, by the way. There's so many different routes Washington could take here, and one of the lesser explored ideas would be a trade back, as we've debated, between the QBs at the top of the board. But they need so much. We have discussed that today more than any other day as they've cut their left tackle, their starting tight end, and one of their depth offensive linemen. Their punters now, uh, one of their – He's seventh, the seventh highest paid player on the team. <laughs> they really don't have a whole lot of money being shelled out this season. They lack talent. Would you be okay with loading up on picks to trade back? And in what trade back avenue would you be most content? Going out and adding Cousins for a couple of years or another veteran, Baker Mayfield or something? Um, what about the possibility of trading back and still getting a quarterback in the top 10, McCarthy maybe, trading back and getting one late first or early second, you know, that would be a much bigger haul probably, but then you're talking about Penix or Knicks, or do you say absolutely not? Ron Rivera had the choice in 2020, opted out of taking a high-end quarterback, did the roster-building exercise, and it was a disaster, as evidenced again by today's decisions to cut three of his players. 800-636-1067. Obviously, this front office, presumably, will do a much better job with their roster build than Rivera's group did. But we just did this in 2020 in the first draft of that regime where we sat here and talked about the value of a trade back. Should they take a quarterback? A little different situation because they had Haskins on the roster. But Washington has Howell on the roster, who showed more than Haskins did. Only difference being one was drafted in the first round. Hal was drafted in the fifth round. But uh, let's see what you guys think about that next. 800-636-1067, the number on GND. With Danny, I'm Grant. You are listening to The Fan. We are asking you about a piece in The Athletic today suggesting that the commanders are going to want to listen 
to all offers for the number two pick, which, look, that goes without saying. You have something really valuable. You're going to allow teams to knock your socks off. The real question at day's end, are they going to be willing to trade out of the catbird seat at two here and take any quarterback in the country, probably not named Caleb Williams? I mean, if you stay there, you may well get Caleb Williams. You don't know. Probably not. You're probably deciding between May and Daniels. Whether or not you fall in love with one of those guys might make up your decision. It's possible, though, Danny, that if you are enamored with another guy who's not going to go at number two, but a little bit later on, whether that's McCarthy or Penix or Nix or anybody else, uh, that maybe you feel like you could trade back. You could get the world. You could set yourself up with two first-rounders next year and the year after, with three second-rounders this year and you know extra second-rounders maybe next year. You already, if you trade back, would have multiple third-rounders both next season and the year after. So it would just open things wide up for them, but you would be making it harder possibly to find your franchise quarterback if you feel like Daniels or May is the next really good QB in the league. I mean, and that's and therein lies the problem, right? The, I don't know, because I'm torn. I, I obviously trust this regime. I trust Adam Peters at, at more than I would trust say, I don't know, uh, Ron Rivera, uh, in, in, in this role. And so, obviously, I want him to make, you know, the best long-term decision and, and not just do things to satisfy my itch. Like, he doesn't have 30-some years of baggage on the quarterback spot. You know what I mean? Like, he's just trying to do the right thing to help the football team build. You and I are sitting here looking at our watch going, dude, we just did Taylor Heineke. Dude, we just did uh, Carson Wentz. We just did uh, Fitzpatrick and Kyle Allen for seven seconds. We did all this crap to get here. Please, and if he's like, nah, it's not that prudent right now. I, I, like, I'm, I'm more inclined to, to be able to deal with it, but it's still going to be annoying. You know what I mean? And, I, and I'm trying to separate that from analysis. My annoyance at not coming out of there with one of these three guys because they're right there sitting for you. But to me, this is all. This is about a couple fold. If, if you just treat it like pure economics, mathematics, whatever you want to call it. It is a crapshoot to a degree. You want to be higher. That's your still your best chance. But you could also, if you just, for the sake of argument, just to throw a number on it, if you think one guy's a six and a half, one guy's a 7.2, you could have a six and a half plus a whole bunch of other starters to go with it. Then your team could be better sooner and more sustainable. Okay, maybe I, I could get on, on, on board with that, right? Yeah, like, what we I wouldn't don't hate know that is as much. What if you know they have a quarterback who, like, let's say Caleb Williams is head and shoulders above everyone else, but they know he's going to the Bears, and then they have McCarthy even with Daniels or May or whatever, but they think we could go back to five to seven and get McCarthy. Mm -hmm. Now you add an extra pick early. Maybe it's a tackle. Maybe you know you get an elite wide receiver weapon to help him or something else along the way, and they feel like it was really close or it was even, but the sum of the parts, as you said, is greater with the move back. I'm against it. I don't want them to do it, but I do want to touch the people and see how you guys feel with Danny right now. So let's hit the phones. 800-636-1067. Let's go to Tony in Clinton, Maryland, on line three. What's up, Tony? What's up, guys? Happy Friday. How y'all doing, man? Good, buddy. How are you? Hey, look, so I, I don't understand why. Like, I, Kirk Cousins, the whole Kirk Cousins I did, that's not a guy you drop into a bad team. Like you don't you don't bring a veteran guy who's he's good, but he's not a guy at his stage in the career that you drop into a bad situation. You send him to Seattle or Cleveland or someplace like that where they have the roster already built. 
and they just need a Kirk Cousins to top him off. You can't send him to a team with a number two pick in the draft. And as far as, like, the quarterback situation, trading back and taking a risk on a lesser-tier guy, if you have him that way, like, the last 10 years have proven you do not go to a Super Bowl and win it outside of maybe Kyle Shanahan's genius without the elite quarterback. Like, look what look what Patrick Mahomes did with his no weapons. His wide receivers was trash. His best receiver was a 34-year-old tight end, and the rest of them were C-grade at best and won't even be a number two or three at any other roster in the, in the league. But because they had the quarterback, the most important part, look what they did. And so if you got a mm-hmm. guy sitting at two that potentially could be that person, that's the most important thing to do. Like, solidify that and worry about the rest of the stuff down the road. Tony, you're preaching to the choir. I think it's a really good phone call. Adam Peters was in San Fran when they went to the Super Bowl with Garoppolo and Purdy. I am simply asking rhetorically, is it not possible that he is of the belief that we can find a really good fit at quarterback and build this thing up like I did in San Fran, where I've got Ayuk and I've got uh, Debo and Kittle and McCaffrey and Trent Williams, and you know it works because I don't have to pay the quarterback a lot of money. I don't have to get the elite $250 million QB. Uh, again, I'm spitballing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just know where he came from and what they're doing. Now, yeah. I would point out, if I was talking to Adam Peters, that Kyle Shanahan's not walking through that door with you. And the reason the Garoppolo thing worked and the reason Purdy is working is because of Kyle and less to do Hmm. with those quarterbacks. I think his point makes a lot of sense on Cousins, too, where he says, like, don't drop him into a bad team. And and I wouldn't – and I I love that point and and the the design. And, again, I'm not necessarily advocating for this, but saying the design here would be you wouldn't be doing that. You wouldn't be doing it to say, okay, enjoy this rebuild, Kirk. You know, make make chicken salad here out of it. You'd be using all the cap space. You'd be using all the draft picks exactly. to try to make that ready-made team. Now it's a big gamble, and it may not make sense for everybody, but that would be the design anyway. Yeah, I think that if you're tr- if you're signing Kirk Cousins and giving him that two-year deal, then you're you're spending a lot more aggressively in free agency. Mm-hmm. But also, this is not a bad offense, right? I think with a quarterback of his caliber, all of a sudden. And a coordinator upgrade. I'm not sure how much I'm going to fall in love with Kingsbury. I'm, I'm very much like I was last year at this time with Bienemy. You know, I'm I'm kind of waiting to see. But Bienemy was not particularly good this past season. I think we now know. So the idea being better coordinating situation and an upgraded offensive line. You've got McLaurin. You've got Dotson. They will add a wide receiver to that, so you'd be three deep there. You've, you know, you're going to upgrade a tight end. You're going to go get a weapon to replace Logan Thomas. Like you're going to move the ball and score points if you have a better offensive line with Kirk Cousins. They did it at times last year. They were scoring thirty every now and then with Sam Howe, who threw twenty plus picks, uh, and Eric Bieniemy calling the plays. It's not a bad group offensively at all, and that's before the team with the most cap space and ten draft picks. You know, gets to work adding talent. Let's go to Vince, who's in Akakik. What's up, Vince? How are you? What's up, guys? Hey, buddy. Um, so, honestly, I, I hear all y'all points about, you know, not necessarily want to trade back. But for me, um, the same way y'all say you wouldn't trade up to go get Caleb, um, I'm like, if, 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 you, if you're not willing to risk it all to go get the guy, there's a possibility that he might not be that guy, like he's not Andrew Luck, whatever, whatever. 
I would much rather get a short thing, like, you know, a left tackle, something like that. Trading back for me feels very ideal um, to acquire more picks uh, because I'm not necessarily sold that we have to spend it on one of the, the, the so-called top three. I feel like there could be a, another quarterback somewhere in this draft. If this coaching staff that we put together is supposed to be as elite as it is, as long as we get a guy with good football traits, we should be able to coach anybody up to uh, to 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 do with it to 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 be an aspiring you know pro pro quarterback, pro left tackle, pro linebacker, whatever, whatever. So I don't think it's mind. that easy though, Vince. Thanks for the Thank call. You, Vince. I mean, if if it was just as simple as get the guy with the traits and coach him up, there'd be more than twenty really good ones on planet Earth at any given moment. Right. I think it's it takes a special person. This is such a crapshoot, right? Um, so I, I view it differently than that. I don't think if I got the traits, the arm strength, the accuracy, the size, my staff will get it out of you. It's so hard, man. Every single year we're looking around the league and we're going, that guy is starting or that, that team's still looking for a quarterback because there's not enough of them on the planet, Danny. Yeah, we did that bit. I can't remember which week it was where we're going – we, there, there was no. It wasn't a great discussion. It was just you and I repeating the names of the starters. <laughs> you remember that? Where we're going? Look who's starting in the NFL this weekend. This guy and this guy. This name. Who is this? Like we. It was unbelievable. And that's kind of the point here. It, it, there is a perpetual shortage of excellence at the position. So my point is, you can never squander an opportunity when you don't have one to take one. For the people that want to go the veteran route or for the people that, you know, are like, yeah, find him in the fourth round or something like that and, you know, and hope that uh, that lightning strikes. My point is, if you don't have one, you should be taking one. And then you find out that, that guy stinks, you take one again. You never stop taking one until you have one. And once you have one, you never let it go. Let's go to Jesse, who's in Bristow. Jesse, you've heard us discussing this piece in The Athletic about just how big of a haul the commanders could get in a trade back. Absolutely, and they need to do it. Um, interesting you guys are talking about Kirk Cousins because I kind of see a little bit of J.J. McCarthy in him. Um, kind of has that same that leadership um, and, you know, getting the drive, seeing it through, that type of thing. But I think, uh, yeah, you trade back, you can probably get him um, or somebody like him because I think Taylor's got question marks, and I don't think any of the other guys stand out in my opinion, honestly. I mean – um, and then you can build your whole team around. And also, I straight up would I would lock up Sam for about three more years as a backup. I know that's crazy to talk about. It's not crazy at all. He's pretty cheap. I mean, and if you lock him up, you could trade him later if somebody else wants. Him. Jesse, so, that that point, by the way, Grant. Now we're talking money. about that the other day. Appreciate the phone call, dude. I don't think Grant. That's not crazy at all. If you if you have somebody that you know at a minimum can play in this league, yeah. to have a have a backup that's. You know, not expensive, that would be smart to do. That's not crazy. Yeah, I think he's got to play one more year before they can extend him. But there's no harm, no foul, in my opinion, with locking him up. I would absolutely be fine doing that as your QB2 moving forward. Um, Look, if they feel like Jesse does, where he says, I'm not a big Caleb Williams guy. I got some concerns. And I'm not enamored with May or Daniels. I don't love either of them. If they feel like that, then they're going to trade back. I would almost guarantee it. I just bet against them feeling like that. My guess is the more you're around Drake May and Jaden Daniels, one of those two guys knocks your socks off, 
You get around the room together, Quinn and Peters and Pritchard and whoever else is important in the process, Lance Newmark, and they come to a consensus that one of those guys is worth it. But if they're sitting there and, and that's the dialogue, ah, Drake May, I just don't see it. You know, Jaden Daniels, I don't like this. I, 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 he did this too much for me. And and all of a sudden they're going, we're really making a uh, putting our, our necks on the line here, making a ballsy call mm-hmm. for a quarterback we don't love. Then yeah, they'll trade back. Is is that a realistic outcome? It's it's hard for me to see. Eight hundred six three six one zero six seven. You want to hop in on Grant and Danny? James Wood got into yet another spring training game today, and did something awesome. We'll talk about it on the fan. G&D on the fan. One last 45-minute sprint this week before we get on the plane over the weekend to go down to West Palm Beach for Nats Spring Training Baseball. We'll have coverage Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday from Florida for you right here on Grant and Danny. Fear not with Commander's News. Breaking, we will cover it as fast and as thoroughly as anybody As we did today, if you're just jumping in your car, Charles Leno informed of his release. The Commanders incurring an $8.2 million dead cap hit, but they are saving $7 million against the cap with the decision on Charles Leno as well. Uh, He played 47 of 51 games as the starting left tackle the last three seasons. Washington also informing Logan Thomas today he's being released. He turns 33 before the start of the year. Missed 15 games via injury the last three years. The move frees up $6.5 million in cap space. Washington, just a $1.7 million dead cap penalty to pay. And then they cut Nick Gates. Now, this one had a lot less to do with freeing up cap space, Danny. This was just a, Your we don't need you. are not required. <laughs> 333000 in cap savings doesn't yeah. quite move the needle. Uh-huh. Uh, they actually paid a $5.7 million dead cap penalty to get out of the final two years of a three-year deal of Gates or the Rivera Marty Party brought in last year. I wonder, by the way, as they're sitting around the table discussing this, like when like it's Mayhew's turn to talk, if they're like, and Martin, we're, we're, we're all in agreement, right? Nick Gates, we'll get rid of him? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's the I, worst. I didn't think we should have signed that one. <laughs> right? Yeah. Does anyone have an opinion on that guy? Martin, you go first. Martin, you go second. Yeah, I don't think so. God, that's awkward. That's, again, that's my point. I don't know. I, I, I will I will stop badgering that one. It's it's over. It's like they're not going anywhere. But golly, that's a nice little reminder, right? Were you acquired by this uh, previous regime? Hey, look. Look at the guy that's still here. He made that decision. Anybody? Anyone else care about that? Nope. All right, fine. James Wood off the bench today did not start, but he's got to be the only guy in spring training right now who's played in all of his team's games, right? He's played in all seven games. Most of them as a starter. But off the bench today, two plate appearances, drew a walk and got a hit. So now 19 plate appearances for him. Been on base 12 times. Five singles, three homers, and four walks. He has only struck out twice. If you look at his numbers, he's hitting 530. His on-base percentage, 12 divided by 19. Some quick math tells me he's sitting at about 630. Mm -hmm. Whale of a spring for the top Nats slugging prospect, him and Dylan Cruz, kind of interchangeably depending on where you look, 
of battling going into the year as their number one prospect. But the James Wood production continues to be very loud in West Palm. Yeah, the James Wood show is what it's been uh, to this point. He, he is Whatever you like to see in a baseball game is pretty much done, right? Tracking balls in the outfield, hitting them over the fence, uh, running to first base as fast as anybody in the sport. The, the showcase of the talent has been, you know, show up. You, you know, if you don't know anything, you go, who's that? You would figure it out really quick that that guy's a future star. Are you with me that it's way too early? to start suggesting that he could break camp with the team? Because you're starting to hear those rumblings just from fans, like asking the question and and wanting it to happen. But he did not play a whole lot of ball at the AAA level last year where he was thriving and, and putting the ball in play and making contact. They do have the incentive now to keep him in the show start of the season because if he were to win Rookie of the Year and he was on the roster from opening day on, they would be gifted a first-round pick from Major League Baseball. But I just think it's been you know, roughly a week. It's a great start. It's a small sample. It's a fun story. But it's, it's too early to start having that conversation. If he does this for the majority of the month, let's talk about it. But right now, I think uh, that's cart before the horse banter. Yeah, he, he's so far won the Michael A. Taylor Spring Training Award. To the you know to at, at this stage right that's not the Victor Robles spring training award now no well it, it, Robles is always eligible it may, maybe it, maybe he gets it where he worked with somebody over the winter and he hired a personal chef or something like that I'm sure we'll read that story uh, he did yoga no but it, it's it also starts a great story it's fun to dream to me it doesn't make much practical sense for this team now if this was a first division club and they you know had a chance to win 90 games I'd go you know what bleep it bring him up and let's go right but. I, I understand the the benefit, the reward potentially of of, of getting that um, uh, getting that draft pick compensation if he finishes up at the up at the top. But it's I mean, there's so many things that can happen before then. Putting together a 162 game campaign where he wins that award, you know, God forbid he he, he twists a knee or you know has has a sore hamstring or goes into a slump for an extended period of time and he doesn't get that. Now what have you done? You wasted a year of service time for a, a team that's going to win 65, 70 games. Doesn't excite me as much. It's not as practical. Even though I think a lot of fans are going, if I'm paying, I'd like to see him. I get that. I get I get all the sides. Next on G&D, some other NFL headlines outside of Washington with everybody in the quarterback class talking at the podium in Indianapolis. We can get into that. Plus, it's Grant and Danny's Tony's Mailbag. You guys know the drill. You can steer the show. Open lines. Ask us whatever you'd like in AMA on G&D. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.